It certainly is a big bun. It's a very big bun. Big fluffy bun. It's a very big fluffy bun. Where's the beef? Some hamburger places give you a lot less beef on a lot of bun. Where's the beef? At Wendy's, we serve a hamburger we modestly call a single. And Wendy's single has more beef than the Whopper or Big Mac. At Wendy's, you get more beef and less bun. Hey, where's the beef? I don't think there's anybody back there. You want something better. You're Wendy's kind of people. So, we fixed all we've we've ironed out all the the technical kinks, which is good. Yes, you know we're, we we're back to our for our RoboCop. Yeah, our regular setup. We were able to record, but it wasn't up to our par of excellence. <laughs> God damn it! Yes, our recording. I excellence. have to say that. Granted, I don't listen to our podcast very often. Yeah, <clears throat> mostly because I can't stand to listen to myself. No, you say I can't stand your voice. <laughs> no, I can't stand. To hear me talk, <clears throat> yeah. Um, but when I listen, and I listen to other podcasts, I'd say we have a pretty good. We do have a pretty good like bar of quality. Well, not to get too in the weeds, but for anybody out there who wants to podcast, I've always said it doesn't matter what you talk about as long as your quality is good. As long as it sounds good, yeah. Because there's a lot of people out there who have great podcasts, but they sound like crap, and then you're gonna have some dude or whoever mr or mrs downloading and if it doesn't sound good they're not going to stay with it you know what i mean if it sounds like you're like you sound professional yeah you know if you're like it sounds like you're in the back of a conversion van you know they're not going to want to the more you know yeah (laughs) (laughs) so it's the one to grow on and you know and knowing's half the battle gi joe so you know what our our flux capacitor's got us you know, Again. Everybody right now it seems like everybody's talking about how great 1982 was. Yeah, and I'm not going to take anything away from 1982. Good year, hell of a year for movies. Yeah. But, but I think <laughs> we've proven this year that 1987 was a hell of a year yeah. for movies. It was a hell of a freaking year. We've talked about in the past 84, <laughs> the summer of 84 being an awesome year mm-hmm. in the theaters, and uh, then somebody threw out like. Randomly, like, no, 94 was. <laughs> just a random, like, you know, yeah, okay. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I guess so. so. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I guess. okay. No one's contending that. <laughs> but as we've shown this year, and it's not even been a, uh, a uh, conscientious plan for us to just do 30-year anniversaries. It just seems no, that no. we're just... It was, like, early um, on in the year where, like, you know, there was a lot of good movies. In 87, that yeah. Have, that have a... Who framed Roger Rabbit? No, 88. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> and then uh, it, and then we just got thinking like, yeah, there are a lot of good movies. And then when we started talking about movies, it turned out that... Half the catalog of this year is 87. <laughs> yeah, more than, maybe more than half. Yeah, it's, 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 it's insane how many... Well, not, you know, almost all of them have been some kind of anniversary. Yeah, we haven't done... Um, but I don't think, yeah, either coinciding with a movie coming out yeah, in the theater or, or we did like a 25th. Wayne's World was 25th. Wayne's World was 25th. Um, I have a feeling like Slapshot was like maybe 40th. <laughs> Slapshot, I think, was four. Yeah, it was like that 77. And then, you know, Beauty and the Beast was when it came out in the theater and Beguiled when it came out in the theater. Begotched. And the Begotched, as we like to call it. Uh, what, what did we 
kicked in the door. What was the the year? Was it Master of the Universe? Was it was Escape from New York, but it was yeah. because it takes place in, or it was because it takes place in 97. It takes place in 97, <laughs> which posthumously <laughs> would have made it a 20-year anniversary <laughs> for this. For, that uh, was our rationale for that. It takes yeah. place in 97. And it's a good kick in the, the f- you know, after cri- after Christmas season, you know, uh, we had a... Cr- that was a hell of a cast. The pot, There the, are certain casts that I'm particularly proud of. In our... Uh, our in our Escape from New York. In our extensive catalog. And that's one of them. I'm very proud of that one. I'm very proud of our Warriors podcast. That was good because we'd read the book for that. So we did a book yes. by film and I, comparison. And I, read, and I read the novelization for, for tonight for Escape from New York. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, you did. I actually, so we did. I actually did read most of the novelization for tonight. Good. Um, uh, what, cruising, I think, is one of our better podcasts. Yeah, because well, we had a little insider no- knowledge well, there. And it was a little off the beaten track for yeah, us. Yeah, it, it, it came out to be one of the craziest sleepovers we've ever awkward. had. It was awkward. It was an awkward yeah. Because Blake thought <laughs> it was, was going to be a cosplay. <laughs> I was all dressed up and ready to go. And leather and all that kind of thing. We were going to go to the Anvil or um, the Mine Shaft. And I was like, whoa, 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 Blake. <laughs> we're staying on the couch tonight. And there are episodes that uh, are my favorites that I think are great because they're very personal. Like in, in the mouth of madness for me was very personal. That Rock, was a Halloween. Rocky, Rocky was yeah. very personal for me. Yeah, me for Dirty Harry and, um, uh, and No Holds Barred. No Holds Barred. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's a trip down memory lane. We had all kinds of. We've done a lot of uh, you know, and even some of the early ones, which I forget, were like seem like. Thousands of lifetimes ago, they like do. the Transformers, the movie, GI Joe, the movie, yeah, that little yeah. two-parter that kicked Good in. Good old like Remo, I'm still Remo. Push, I still push the crap out of that Remo. One. Trial the Incredible Hulk, you know. Uh, we got a lot of good, you know. We have we have a lot of diversity. We were doing stuff for the ladies, Labyrinth, you know. Um, uh, Dirty Dancing, Grease. Grease was a good. I like yeah, Grease. You know. Uh, so we, we we try to anyway. Uh, we want to thank everybody yeah. for listening. <laughs> yeah, it's been a hell so of a run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And we're ending it all now. But tonight, yes, I do have to say I'm 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 uh, back in '87. I'm we're back in '87. I'm especially excited for tonight. Yeah. Um, when we came up with the idea to do a movie podcast, mm-hmm. and we were trying to think of ideas, and we thought of doing kind of genre type movies, and then the idea of doing sleepover, like a sleepover type thing, came about. You need to find an angle, people. <laughs> When all that when that, when that was happening, uh, three years ago, yeah, uh, there were certain movies that I had automatically in my head when we came up with the idea of like sleepover movies, mm. and there were ones that was like, oh man, th- th- this is what I want to do on the show. Garbage Pail Kids the movie. <laughs> Garbage Pail Kids the movie. Howard was the Duck. <laughs> Howard the Duck is definitely one, but there were like Daryl. But there, there were the, those kind that were were kind of quirky and cult classics and, and cult classics and fun and to, would be fun to talk about. But then there were movies that I genuinely kind of love, and oddly enough, like we haven't done a whole lot of those yet. Yeah. Uh, this year we kind of started hitting some of them, like um, Adventures in Babysitting was one, and we have some more planned, which was eighty seven as well <laughs> later this year. Yeah. It turns out eighty seven. I was like all about eighty seven yeah, when yeah. we came up. <laughs> All the movies. 87 was a huge year for sleepovers for me, I guess. Uh, and tonight's show, The Lost Boys, was one of those movies. Yeah. Where I was like, I can't wait till we do The Lost Boys. And we're, we're doing it now. And now we're doing it. Yeah. We're celebrating a 30... We, by the time this... Airs. Airs, hits the internet, hits the interweb. Yep. It will have just... Passed. Passed. On it's, the Monday. It's... Yes. This releases on a Friday. So... 
just a few days ago, yeah. it was his 30th anniversary uh, of its release. Which is mind-blowing. Now, oddly enough... Um, let's get this. Let's take this real serious. <laughs> let's bring it in a little bit. Uh, oh, hey, you know what? Welcome to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. <laughs> yeah, get that out of the way. I'm Dion Baia. And I am Jay Blake. And we are here tonight. But you can call me Blake. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, I lost my train of thought. Sorry, I, I jumped in there. You were talking about tonight with, with, uh, Lost Boys. Lost Boys, Lost Boys. We had just said that it's, it just, this is coming out on a Friday. It just Wait, happened on Thursday. what are we Thursday. doing tonight? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we're losing them already. What is this? I told you Where to stay away I? from the absinthe tonight. You, you got a bottle of absinthe and it's messing with your mind. I really forgot exactly what I was going to say. We're talking about it being the anniversary. This, the anniversary yeah, just happened on a Monday. And you're talking about movies you wanted to oh. do. Okay. See, so oh, what I was going to say was, yeah. oddly enough, there are movies that when we decide we're going to do a movie... We come, we we meet for our, we got our jammies on. <laughs> yep. We meet on neutral ground. <laughs> <laughs> we get our, we put on our jammies, we bring out the sleeping bags, yep. we pour ourselves some Mega Joe Cola, we op- crack open a bucket of pizza. We bring our G.I. Joe's <laughs> over, we set them all up and we don't play with them. <laughs> and we sit down and we watch the movie without discussing the movie. You're getting really into uh, the bear, the nuts and bolts of this podcast. <laughs> 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 a little, little inside baseball for some people here. You know, sometimes I sit on the couch, Dion's on the floor, sometimes we f- switch. Yep. Dion pulls out, like, the little husband pillow, yep. puts that on the floor. I'll sit there <laughs> after my back starts hurting because we are in our late 30s, we have to switch positions, you know. Uh, but there are a number of times when we sit down to actually post-watching the movie, that we sit down to start talking the movie, and I realize that, like, we've never talked about this movie before. And I don't think you and I have ever discussed The Lost Voice. <laughs> I have no idea what your thoughts about the Lost Boys, are. <laughs> and it's, it's absolutely <laughs> frightening to you, isn't it? Uh, so, Dion. Yeah, but you know, it's funny because that's that happens. I I found that happens a lot with conversely. If I bring a podcast to the oh movie, sure, I mean I'm, I'm just, I was assuming that yeah, <laughs> and uh, vice versa as well, uh, which would be a great movie to do on the podcast. Vice, vice versa. versa. Yeah. Well, we should do a th- a, th- a theme of. All the switch, yeah, the <laughs> like switch Freaky movies. Friday, Freaky movies. F- the, dude, the two Freaky Fridays, vice versa. <laughs> there's another one in there. Is there a Bill Cosby one where he switches? Oh, that's Ghost Dad. No, that's different. No, there's the uh, <laughs> there's some great ones. There's the one with uh, Fred Savage and Judge Reinhold. That's vice versa, right? And then there's the one with Kirk Cameron and Dudley Moore. <laughs> yes, and I don't remember the name of that one. That God bless be, Dudley Moore. <laughs> that would be a great. D- one. Dudley Moore hasn't guessed it on the and show then yet. There's the uh, isn't there? There's a Corey Feldman one Maybe. with George Burns. <laughs> No, that's old God. Is there George Burns? <laughs> like God, I don't know. So that means Corey Feldman had to learn how to do a George Burns. No, no, it wasn't George Burns. It was Robards. Jason, Jason Robards. Robards. Okay, that could be a little more believable. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, that? uh, that's that's um, that's a sidecast right there. That's uh, Dream a Little Dream, maybe it's called. Yeah, it's been so long since I've seen it. I've realized also doing this podcast that there's a shitload of movies that I do not know that you know that you guys all like. And listening to like, you know, you and Mike Vanderbilt talk about stuff, I have no idea what the. I'm like, oh, I guess I should have saw that movie, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of. It's been an interesting journey. uh, Journey and a uh, enlightening one. Yeah. You know, like I, we have, I've brought it up many a time that when we started doing this podcast, the, the most surprising thing was to see, like, you know, how different our tastes are. <laughs> yeah. Which is good, because I feel like if we felt exactly the same way about every movie that we talked about, 
or we each had the same experiences, it would be a pretty boring conversation. <laughs> this is very true. And, you know, as you said, we've never talked about the Lost Boys. Yes. But we have quoted. We have quoted Lost Boys, which was like earlier tonight. We were at Dion's house, and his mom comes down, and Dion's like, motherfucker, we're trying to watch the Lost Boys. <laughs> trying to watch the fucking Lost Boys here, <laughs> which we did earlier this year, which was another 25 or Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. And that from 1992. And in that yes. movie, so Blake and I used to always forever quote just movies that we don't really watch anymore that we quote all the time. Yeah. Pulp Fiction, Pulp Reservoir Fiction, Dogs. Reservoir Dogs. Um, I'm sure there's other ones in there. For me, I still, there was a period where every time I left the place when I was with somebody that we were friends with, I would go, let's get the hell out of here. Yes. Which from I Army think, of Dark. <laughs> I think we've talked about this before and you've mentioned that because I remember you saying that. But so Blake and I used to always quote like motherfucker, we're trying to watch Lost Boys here. So I had the opportunity to say it to my mom, which was a little off putting because she didn't quite understand and she like got upset and ran out. Because we were watching the we Lost were in the Boys. middle of watching the Lost yeah, Boys. Yeah, and I hate stopping a movie once it gets started. So uh, we're doing like you said, the Lost Boys tonight from 1987. And uh, so, what are your feelings about the movie? Because it sounds like you have a, a, a huge affinity for it. Uh, you know, it's more. I do, but more than that, it's an affinity. There are certain movies that I have a very nostalgic uh, feeling about because my friends were in love with them so much. Yeah. Um, And this was one of them. Grease was one of them. And we talked about how my friends would often rent Grease or Grease (laughs) 2. Yeah. Uh, When we did the Grease podcast. And there were just... It's funny, when I look back, when I think back on us and the Lost Boys... Lost Boys would get quoted a lot, but watching it this time, I realized that like my friends quoted it incorrectly. <laughs> yeah, because you it's always like Worms, Michael. But he doesn't say that. He says that about the maggots. Yeah, because you used to then subsequently quote that to me all the fucking time. You yeah, know, you're yeah. eating Worms, Michael. So then when I was looking for it, I was like, what the? <laughs> He's not saying it right. <laughs> Just like in Halloween too, I thought Chuck that, Dunham used to say, <laughs> "You're eating Worms, Michael. You're eating Worms, Michael." The other thing. Uh, Remember Halloween 2 we did last year? I used to always think that, that the, hey, uh, what about my boner, baby? I thought that was a line in the movie. <laughs> what about my boner, baby? Yeah, which is not even in the damn what, movie. If you want to know what that is, go mm-hmm. listen to the Halloween 2 podcast. Yeah. The other line that Chuck used to say uh, all the time, which is also incorrect and also said by the wrong character, is he would say in a Corey Feldman impression, consider it a survival guide. About the about the comic book, and it's the other kid. <laughs> it's the other kid, and that's not even the wording. <laughs> that's not even the proper wording. You know, you do find that in in life where you'll you won't believe that you you're misquoting something for twenty five years. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Well, you'll ha- you'll you'll remember it a different way, and then you're saying something completely different. You know, or or funnier. It's like um, I was listening to a podcast recently, and. Uh, I'm not going to say it wasn't a podcast. It was a radio show because we had just did the Romero passing. So it was a morning, Saturday morning radio show. I was in the car. So I turned on uh, NPR. That's as far as I'll go. I'm not going to say the name of the show. And they had a film historian on and then the host of the show. And they were talking about Romero. And the host of the show was completely misremembering all the (laughs) scenes from these Romero movies. And he's like, you remember the beginning of uh, Night of Living Dead when like, you know, they're in the car and the car breaks down and they're, you know, they're trying to fix the tire. And you see in the background, this guy's coming up to him and there's this tension because they can't figure out how to do the tire. (laughs) 
Are we watching the movie? What is that guy talking about? But then the historians, it's not his show. He's like, yes, I remember that fondly. But they're in a cemetery. They're actually going to the father's grave to put, you know, so he's trying to. So it's just so funny how people have this perception of they remember the movie completely different. And they'll swear by it even when they see the movie. Like, no, that movie's wrong. Yeah. I remember it the right way. So there's also a thing about this movie for some reason. And I think maybe it's because. And I'm sure I brought it up on some podcast earlier. Who knows when? But my grandmother, when I was little, owned a motel. Yes, you've brought it up several in, times. In Wildwood, New Jersey. Yeah. And so we would spend portions of the summer in on the Jersey Shore. Yeah. And so there's something about like the boardwalk <clears throat> and the beach. In this movie that hits home well, for... Well, just any mo- any movie, especially from that period. Yeah. Because we're talking about, like, the mid-to-late mid, you know, mid 80s. It's early, actually, just the 80s in general was when that was occurring for me. So uh, there's this nostalgic thing about the boardwalk and stuff for this that also kind of just gives me, you know, warm and fuzzy yeah, feeling, yeah. Like, like summertime. Because we were talking about, like, well, what could we do for the summer? And I was like, well, we could do The Lost Boys. That's a summer movie. Yeah. And I, re- and it is, I think it is. But it was really just going off of my feeling of the boardwalk and those aerial shots of, of the roller coaster yeah. and stuff that made me kind of feel like it was summer. That made me think because when we started watching this movie, um, I should have researched this, but the ending of the th- one, two, three, the fourth Dirty Harry movie, um, Sudden Impact, where he says, make my day. You know, the, the, remember the plot? It's like she's going for revenge because she's raped under the boardwalk mm-hmm. and her sister is, I don't want to give too much away, but the ending yeah. of it, it, there's a climax at a, a th- uh, at an amusement park. And for me, this, it was, it's someplace in California they shot it. Yeah, I yeah. thought it was near Carmel they shot some of it. But I was thinking maybe they shot... Santa Cruz or wherever. Yeah, this, is, this was shot in Santa Cruz. And this looked, that, because it's the same... Sudden Impact's 83. This is 86 or 87 when it was shot. Yeah. So it's indistinguishable. It looks At night, it looked like the exact same place. So I wonder if someone smarter than us will know that, like, yeah, they used both locations. Maybe. You know, Mike. The <laughs> yeah, Mike, Mike Vanderbilt from uh, the... Um, uh, Actually, he's been good. He hasn't corrected us in a long time. Well, he's good at that. No. But uh, so there's part of, like, there are certain movies. Somebody on Twitter uh, a couple of months ago or a couple of weeks ago was like, it was a young was a young person and there were they they asked what 80s movies best in your opinion best represent the 80s like what the 80s was like is how i interpreted it yeah and i was like for me i was i responded lost boys and karate kid like to me that's what they i remember the 80s being like the lost boys of the karate kid but again it's both like california beach yeah (laughs) karate kid's a beach movie in a certain way yeah yeah i mean there's there's parts of uh, you know there's scenes at the beach yeah and i think it's just because the 80s to me is all about wildwood new jersey yeah and uh so that's another reason why i have a lot of nostalgia for this is because it's for me it's like quintessentially 80s and like I said, my, it was a big movie for my friends. Uh, and it's funny how the podcast has, I'm not going to say rekindled relationships, but you start hearing from people that you haven't heard of from. Like Chuck, the guy who used to quote this movie. Yeah. You know, I hadn't talked to him since we, since 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and now every once in a while we'll exchange emails. <laughs> That's and so it'll be it's like, like a touching I, thing. Yeah. And he's like, oh, you know, when you do when you do Karate Kid, you got to have me on. Or, <laughs> you know, or, and uh, 
you know, just stuff like that. We just you hear from people. Another kid that I haven't talked to for even longer that I went to school with, who I had many a sleepover uh, in my younger years. You know, like fourth, fifth, sixth grade, yeah. maybe seventh grade. <clears throat> we we you know we don't talk very often on Facebook, but he's like, uh, I've heard the podcast, and you know, you've told a story that was that was us. <laughs> You know, I don't even know if I said his name, but it was telling some story about a sleepover where we broke something or whatever. And are they finding the cast by just like uh, serendipitous, or are they are they actually finding it because you know that I don't know. I think Joe. That's pretty amazing if they're able to just find it by happenstance and then yeah, it's like yeah. your podcast. Well, I think Joe found it because we had kind of become friends on Facebook, but never communicated with each other. So he might have just seen that us promote it and yeah. listen. The kid that I worked at a movie theater with. He just he responded to something on face on our Facebook page, the Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers Facebook page, and then you responded to him. And I was looking at him. I was like, I think I know this guy. And I clicked on it to see if the way you responded to him seemed like you knew who he was. Because there's a lot of people that you know from like Connecticut that, yeah, yeah. that follow the, the podcast and stuff. And I was like, oh, I wonder who this guy is. I clicked on it. I was like, he's from Latham, New York. And I'm looking at him. <laughs> So I messaged in the Facebook. Close one eye. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so in the Facebook comments, I was like, "This is going to be a weird question, Tim." But did you used to work at the, the Hoyts movie theater at Clifton Country Mall? And he's like, "Yeah." And there was a guy Blake there that knew a lot about movies. I was like, "Holy fuck, Tim! What's up, man?" That's me, man. <laughs> Do you remember that time we heard Aerosmith playing next door? <laughs> we worked at a movie theater all summer one year and together, t- and I hadn't talked to him since the since I left that movie theater. Wow, that's insane. So it's bringing people together i don't really have any of those, <laughs> those well, stories you have a lot of people like, i have people who follow it yeah, yeah follow it and you know yeah. like the, you got a call f- i got a call from a friend of mine who i hadn't talked to in 15 years yeah, unrelated about, to about the podcast Romero, but yeah the george but romero still, i mean it's movies are a beautiful thing they bring people together to come and you know especially uh our childhoods and then you know that actually is something we were just talking about recently somebody was saying how they love the podcast and um not like we're trying to like <laughs> this podcast is great. It's the greatest podcast in the world. Uh, but and 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 I, you know, you, we always try to respond to people, and then so I was trying to find something like diplomatic and nice and fuzzy to say, and I was like, you know, it is weird that doing this podcast about movies we grew up with, whatever eighties, nineties, seventies, sixties, or whatever, it's interesting that all of us have this collective childhood, even though we didn't know each other. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have, we all saw maybe The Karate Kid or we saw yeah, The Shining yeah. or we saw whatever the hell your movie is. It's interesting that people, you know, we have that common denominator, even if even if you're not even from this country, you know, you're from, you know, overseas someplace. You don't even speak yeah. the, Eng- the English language. I also had a movie poster for Lost Boys at some point that was hanging out, but I don't know if I had it when we were in school and I don't think you did school or not, but, but it was a great poster. Is it the same? Is it the the theatrical poster? It's like the theatrical poster, but it's like it's more like it's, it looks like it's kind of drawn, not a photograph. You might have had that. Is was it like a five and by it was seven horizontal? Oh no, or whatever. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't straight up. Is yeah. it big? It wasn't gigantic. But okay, it was pretty big. But it was like a poster. But it was a really poster. cool poster. I don't so know. This will have a lot of nostalgia in different parts of my life for this. Well, movie. you know, it's weird for me because I. Um, not getting in 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 into the if the movie's good or not. Yeah. But for me, like this poster is almost as good or better than the movie yeah. because the the poster for me is so iconic, and f- the poster itself, I think, it just is just the for my personal taste, just the perfect 
depiction of what you want in a poster. Yeah. You yeah. know, it, it just, it adds so much to like, you don't know what's going on. You could tell something weird. It's almost like an album cover. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? And like, you know, how like you have Jason Patrick positioned with the sunglasses on looking oh, over. Yeah. So it's very so candid. Like the one that's on like the covers of the DVDs and the Blu-rays right now. Yeah. Because the poster I was talking about was one that was like. But that's the theatrical Keith release. Sutherland in the, in the center. Yeah. And then Jason Patrick and Jamie Gers kind of looking off to the side, and then you have like the boardwalk underneath. Oh, okay, that, no, you know, it was a different. Image. No, mine's like the theatrical, yeah, release. where it's like Jason Patrick with the sunglasses. Yeah, he's like on looking at the, the camera, background. and then in the, yeah, and then behind them you have them look, like the gang with her on Keith Sutherland's shoulder yeah, looking yeah. at the camera, and him looking very Morrisony, which yeah. I got a lot of in this movie, uh, Jim Morrisony. But it, it, the, the poster for me is so iconic, and it, I don't have as much of an affinity for this movie as you have, yeah. but. This to me is quintessentially lo- like eighties. You know, it's so. <laughs> it is you know, fucking totally 80s. like no, just the poster itself. Yeah. And then when you get into the movies, the movie is just a freaking. You want to know the eighties? I, I think for what you just said, I would say yeah. Go watch Lost Boys. Go watch like maybe Back to the Future and like Weird Science, and you get like <laughs> you know yeah. Well, the there's like quintessential and, like eighties movies. Yeah, but you know, uh, there's some movies like to me when I look back, like what was the eighties? What do I remember the eighties being like? Yeah. And, this is this, and, and then for some reason, like I think it's just because the boardwalks, <laughs> probably because I never vacationed anywhere, you know, like that. So I don't even know when I look back at like, I don't know. I I grew up when I grew up in New Haven. I was the only white kid in the New neighborhood. Haven. New Haven. <laughs> I was the only white kid in the neighborhood. So like when I watch movies that are like have a like a black cast, and I'm like, oh, that's a night girl. <laughs> that's, that's how I was in the boom boxes and like you know like you know and and break dancing and stuff, like yeah. trying to break dance on cardboard. And then you know when I went to the suburbs, it's like yeah. You know, but, uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> as we get so we digress. Yeah, uh, Lost I, Boys. I think there's a lot to talk about, so we maybe should get going. Okay, because I I've got Dion knows. I usually have like a page of notes. Yeah. I've got three full pages of notes, and that's a lot for Blake. So yeah, we uh, should jo- dive right in. Lost Boys. Lost Boys. 1987. 1987. Joel Schumacher. Joel Schumacher directed it. Yeah. It was originally going to be directed by uh, Richard Donner. <laughs> Testing Dion. Yeah, uh, because he he'd, he'd been brought on to produce it, maybe even develop it. He Yeah, it was a... He was, and he was originally going to direct <laughs> it. And, yeah, I was going to throw Don't wait for the translation. <laughs> Cancel me now. <laughs> I was like, ah, Richard Donner. Originally, the script... Uh, the original script was written by Janice Fisher and James Jeremias. Ger- <laughs> Jeremias. That's the stories by Janice F- uh, Fisher... And James Jeremias, and then the screenplays by Janice, J- James, and another J- and gentleman. Jeffrey Baum. Baum. Which we'll get to, because Jeffrey Baum, I think, is our next induction into the Sleepover Movie Hall of Fame. Mm. And we will get to that. And, um, but the, there was, but uh, Janice and uh, James's James. original script, they were younger. It was much more. Like fifth or sixth graders, like it was, Goonies. It was much more of a play on the Peter Pan thing. Yeah. And. Considering that Donner's coming off of, Go- off of Goonies at that time, it seems like that might, you know, you can kind of visualize what that's going to be like. But it was more of a family-friendly about, you know, children, a younger take on it. And then eventually, apparently, it doesn't, it's kind of just waiting. And Richard Donner's getting a little antsy. Richard Donner says, you know, the problem is when the, the, the time when you're in development... And you're waiting to make the movie and you haven't gotten to production yet. He's like, that's the hardest time for him because he's already made the movie like a thousand times in his head. Of course. So by the time he gets it, it's like, 
<laughs> yeah, he's already done it in his head, and and so it, it, that part gets a little boring if if it kind of struggles in development for too long. So he's decided he didn't want to do the movie, and that he would rather go and do Lethal Weapon. So his wife, coincidence in eighty seven, his wife, who's also I think a producer, mm. they're talking, and she had just produced a movie with Sh- Schumacher, yeah, Joel Schumacher, and now Joel Schumacher at that time had only done. St. Elmo's Fire, DC Cab, and The Incredible Shrinking Woman yeah. as feature films. Which is so weird because when you think of what his career's like. Now. Yeah, you know, when looking back now that he's done like 20 something. I movies, never would have associated him with DC Cab or. <laughs> you know, know, like that. those three, those first three features are, are totally not what you think about when you think of. Yeah, Joel I think of Lost Boys and Up, Flatliners yeah, and all the other stuff. Flatliners, Falling Down, which, which we, we've done. we did last summer. Yeah. Uh, around probably around this time last year, yeah, which a boardwalk uh, and then climax. of course the Batman movies, <laughs> which we didn't do, but we did the Keaton Batman movie. Uh, and she was like, "You should get Joel Schumacher to do it." Yeah, but in the meantime, there was another woman, Mary Lambert, who was uh, set to direct, but she was fired because of because uh, then, like you said, Donner, uh, he went to go direct Lethal Weapon, but he stayed on as a producer. And then they got this woman, Mary Lambert, and she was going to direct it, but then they fired her because she was having creative difficulties with Donner. Yeah. And then maybe this is the time when Donner's wife's like, why don't we look into Schumacher? Yeah. So they offer it to Joel Schumacher, and he reads the script, and he says, I don't want to do it. Because of the age thing. I don't want to do a movie about, a vampire movie about kids. Yeah. <laughs> Chubby uh, Boy Scouts, as he's calling them at this and, point. Uh, and then, but I guess he sees something in it, and so he pitches to Richard Donner. What if we made them older? And that was his... He said, I would direct the movie if if we made them a little like they're like teenagers. Yeah. If we did them more like 17, 18. And now, what a what a, uh, a phenomenal idea, if we can put the car in a neutral for a minute, to just have a... You know, everyone loves Peter Pan and, uh, you know, uh, J.M. Barry's Peter Pan, and people hopefully know that there's a correlation with this to that movie. Yeah. But what a what a great idea of taking the theme of the Lost Boys and Peter Pan, the kids who are always young, they won't grow up. And and then I guess that was the idea of the two guy, people watching Peter Pan or whatever, that the idea that Peter would go to Wendy's um, window at night yeah. and beckon her out. And then he, he would take her to this land and they'd party all night, whatever, and then he'd bring her home. And then, you know, and I don't know if people know this or not, but um, the, the author of Peter Pan... Uh, Barry, uh, he invented the name Wendy. There's never been a name Wendy for a woman before that. Interesting. Yeah, and he and so a lot of people who now are named Wendy or have you know that's all from Peter Pan. So because I have a friend of mine who named his his daughter Pete, Wendy because his thing was he had to grow up because he had the kid. So that's yeah, why he named the so kid Wendy. Symbolic. Yeah. So and then he then he told me that bit of information. So I would think it's true because he named his kid. <laughs> you know? You're not going to name your kid if you're not going to know false information. Yeah, yeah. You're going to know the the lore behind your child's name. So, uh, so I think that's a fascinating I would idea. Imagine though that maybe Wendy is. Well, you know how like uh, there's a Wendelin and Wendelin Wendelin or Gwendolyn. Yeah, even, yeah. Or, or, like Scatman says in The Shining. Like, you I don't, are, you I don't a Wendelin like, or Peggy comes out of Margaret, but you know, there's always weird. Know. Yeah, yeah. Or Dick out of Richard. <laughs> 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 you know. So, but, it, but but to me, it's such a fascinating idea to to, to take the the themes there of you know people not wanting to grow up and you yeah. know being a f- endless child a little bit what you see like in Pinocchio with them going to that land of uh, fucking craziness you know yeah, yeah. you know where they want to just play all day and smoke cigars and play billiards and and then have it 
translated into a vampire picture. Yeah. You know, it's you know, kind of ingenious. When I was in high school, on Fridays, I would sneak onto my friend's bus. All my friends lived in one, like, neighborhood yeah. that I didn't live in. <clears throat> and this is where we made such classic movies as To yes. Kill a Ninja. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, but I would sneak onto their bus. Yeah. And we'd go back to Pete's house. And then we would all sit around and watch. What's the the like the music videos? TRL something like that. What was that called? Uh, that's yeah. TRL is uh, Total Request Live. That's TRL. Yeah. But yeah, mu- music. We would watch like TRL, whatever that was in the late eighties. It was called. Well, something. this was in the nineties. It was oh. the late nineties. So that'd be TRL. Yeah, Total Request Live. <laughs> we would sit there and. <coughs> they would watch that. I didn't really care because uh, I didn't listen to those kinds of bands at the time. And um, and Pete's dad had like a uh, Leonard Malton, <clears throat> you know, like the 1995 edition of Leonard Malton's like Guide to Movies, right? yeah. where it has the little description. You just look up movies, it gives you a little description and stars or whatever. And we would sit there and we would play. You would read, we would open the book up and we would read the description and then. Of a random movie, you'd have to guess what it is. And they'd have to guess what movie it was. Yeah. And the one, and in the, in the book, the, one of the descriptions was like a, a teenage vampire, a teenage horror take on Peter Pan. <laughs> and I was like, it's the Lost Boys. The fucking Lost Boys. Yeah. It's the fucking Lost Boys. <laughs> you know, but that's how they just, that's how it was described. It was described in relation to Peter Pan. It's a, it's a take. In the, in the synopsis. Well, I mean, it's, and it's also a great idea for a name of a movie too. The Lost, why, the, you know, the Lost yeah. Boys are fucking vampires, you know what? But it's also like a little double entendre where it's like also you have all the, there's a lot of missing kids. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of shit going down and wherever yeah, the fictional have, name is. Yes, of. you have the Lost Boys of Kiefer Sutherland and his crew. But then throughout the movie, we get a sense that... A lot of people going there. It's the murder capital of the world. We see a lot of, uh, yeah. you know, milk carton, back of the milk posters. carton, missing kids, posters, on, you know, piece, paper up on every, bulletin everybody boards. Everybody in the... It's like the town's best or worst kept secret. No one seems to want to acknowledge it, but the, every day there's, there's a kid or a family being lost. <laughs> I don't know why people just don't move out of yeah, this town. No, Taxes it, must be really cheap. Yeah, and it's just like, it's like kind of like once you get there, you can't leave kind of a thing. Um, so Schumacher says, I would direct... I would make this movie if we could do them as like sexy teens. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Donner says, you know what? Sounds good. Yeah. Let's do it. And so then they bring on uh, Jeffrey Baum. Yeah. Who, who was the third writer we had just alluded to? He was the third writer. He comes on. Now, his credits before this were Straight Time with Eddie Bunker, Edward Bunker. Yeah, which, which we brought up in Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> which, uh, Reservoir Dogs connection again. Uh, Dead to the Dead Zone. Okay, which is the... St- was that that wasn't a TV movie, was it? No, that... This the Christopher was, Walken... This was the Christopher Walken, David Cronenberg directed. Okay, so adaptation. Martin Sheen, yeah, yeah. Of the Stephen King novel. Inner Space... Awesome. Uh, Joe Dante classic. Yep. And then The Lost Boys. But then, if to induct him into the Sleepover Movie Hall of Fame. We will proceed. <laughs> Funny Farm. Oh, yep. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oof. Lethal Weapon 2 and Lethal Weapon 3. Oof. The Witches of Eastwick. Wow. Uh, but that was a TV movie. But still. But he was one of the co-creators of Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Which is, uh, by that alone, would have <laughs> gotten your nomination. And... Uh, he also wrote and co-produced The Phantom by Billy Zane. <laughs> Another one, uh, Sleepover Gold. And I think he wrote and directed an episode of uh, Tales from the Crypt. Okay. Episode number 61, Creep Course. 
which I might know if I knew had the synopsis to. But yeah, but uh, that's a how that's a good that's a nice little resume. I, you got an Indiana Jones movie. You got a you classic got old 80s Museum, Chevy eh? Chase comedy. Yeah, which is you got a Joe Dante movie. You got the, the Lost Boys, and, and I feel you, like and that. You, and then you went and co-created a fucking one of the best shows of all time. Yeah, Bruce Campbell's uh, <laughs> uh, Briscoe County. I feel like a Funny Farm is a remake of a like Mister. Mr. Or oh, is that Money Pit? That's the Money Pit. Mr. Blanding's builds his dream house. Yeah, yeah. I f- thought it was one of those. They, they made so many of those. Which the Money Pit is, is a pretty funny movie. Yeah, yeah it's great. Yeah. They're all the. It's because I get you know Brewster, Brewster's Millions. I didn't realize the Richard Pryor the and Eddie Murphy might be a remake of something, but it's not a remake of Mr. Blanding's builds his dream house. Uh, the Brewster's Millions with with Richard Pryor and John Candy. That's a remake of an, of an of other movie of that of the same time back yeah. in the day with maybe Ronald Coleman or something. So you get all those movies that you never realized that are remakes, like yeah. Scarface. Go figure. Scarf, Scarface. Scarface. So uh, he comes on and he does it. What is he? He updates the, and he, he does his draft and he updates everybody. Yeah. He yeah. makes them into teenagers. Yeah. Uh, and then they also get uh, Michael Chapman to be the director of photography who had shot Raging Bull, a taxi driver. <laughs> yeah. So it was a really great crew. A great idea. Got Richard Donner as executive producer. You got Joel Schumacher as director. Uh, Michael Chapman shooting it, and this it, new young screenwriter Jeffrey Baum to write a screenplay. And now, see, uh, when my parents, my dad in '87 or '88, got that became members at the Columbia House. Uh-huh. You get all those back in the day. You'd get these. You'd become part of the member of either you know you get CDs in the mail or videos in the mail. We got the videos, and I remember like you'd get the first shipment and you would get pick like five or six movies. Yeah, for the penny. And then you'd pay <laughs> uh, retail. Then you pay forty, fifty, yeah, hundred dollars a piece. Uh, hundred, yeah, for the, you know. So I remember the first ones we got were Lethal Weapon, Aliens, uh, Big uh, uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I think there's a fourth one there, but anyway, we that I I'd wear the crap out of them. But every time I'd watch Lethal Weapon, I always used to note in the background on the marquee, "Hey, look, it's free." That that's when they shot it because uh, you know Lost Boys was out, <laughs> you know, because they're eating a hot dog when he comes outside. He's like you know, he's like uh, Raj. What did he mean when he said you owed him his life? And you know, there's a little exposition about what Tom Atkins said in the bank. And now it makes sense. It's a little like our Dirty Harry, where like you know Don Siegel and Dirty Harry puts up "Play Misty for Me" on the yeah. marquee to give Eastwood a little yeah, shout Donner out. Yeah, was a. <coughs> yeah, so Donner did that to give it the shout out to the Lost Boys, the fucking Lost Boys, yeah. <laughs> fucking the motherfucker, yeah. motherfucker. So it, that's it. All comes together here, and this is another one of these movies where I hadn't seen in twenty years. Yeah, and uh, I remember it coming out, and uh, this is uh, and the big thing for me was I wasn't into the Doors at the time, but I remember that Echo and the Buddy Men had redid. Um, yeah, people are strange for this, so I listened to that, and. This which Manzarek produced. Yeah, and Manzarek is also on because when I listen to it for this movie, uh, when we watch the movie, he does. It's an alternate take. It sounds like on the movie, but if you listen to the soundtrack version, he does a uh, organ solo in it, and then at the end when they're all singing, you can hear Manzarek. I think he's in the chorus doing like you know, yeah. uh, coming out in the rain when you're strange. So, but this is part of the Doors revival there because the Doors had a revival with Apocalypse Now in the late '70s, and they did the American Prayer, the poetry album that was really huge, which gave them a best of album that was really big. And then into the '80s, this came out, and then in, with 1990 or '91 with Oliver Stone doing the the actual biopic Mm -hmm. this was a huge revival but the reason why i brought this up is uh i had i hadn't seen this movie in i don't know how many years and it's one of these movies much like lethal weapon where i thought there would be so much more going on (laughs) you know it's like i was like this is it it's like it's such a clean 
story where it's like, is there a subplot or anything? But no, you don't need it. And it's, this is not a knock on anything. Yeah, yeah. But it just, I always remember these stories, especially I'm finding out for these movies in the 80s where there'd be more of a, some sort of story, like not, <laughs> something know, happens. Yeah, something it, right? more, more nuanced, <laughs> but it's just, it just, it's going, you know, it just yeah. gets going. And then before you know it, it's over. And you're like, well, that was it. You know, so it's it's like lethal weapon. It's like you know, there's it's it's all MacGuffin about them stopping like a like a heroin bust, and that was it. And it's like, wow, that was all. I thought there was. You remember so much more. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like I don't know if you can make movies like that anymore because for better or for worse, you have audiences that want they have better, bigger expectations. They yeah. want something more esoteric, or they want it deeper. Or they want it to, you know, compare the yin and the yang of life, where it's like <laughs> this is just a fucking. This actually, you know, a, you know, that's one one of the reasons why I said there's a lot to talk. Like there is a lot going on in this yes movie. and that's another thing Subtextually. too textual yeah and it's so you know i mean i mean just to think that i didn't even put it into perspective but they were saying this kind of greenlit the we might be getting ahead of ourselves but this kind of rejiggered the idea of the romanticism within the vampirism yeah and i looked up ann rice's book interview with a vampire and that came out in 76 Mm-hmm. But no one touched it until they made the 1994 yeah. movie. So, and then you have Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But I guess if you look at it, classically, you always had the Dracula vampire. I mean, we have, um, for us, Franklin Jella, like in the mm-hmm. late 70s, early 80s. And I think there's even like a George Hamilton vampire in there. <laughs> well, there's... You know, and they're like... There's, sort of, one, there's the... There, there is, but it's like a comedy. Yeah, yeah. But like we had Franklin Jell there a couple of I years. I was gonna say Once Bitten, but that's the Jim that's Carrey. the Jim Carrey movie, There's which like came a out a year Love before. At First Bite, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Wait, so the, whatever it is, Charles Bernstein did the score for it, and he talks about it in my book, Score to Death: Conversations with Har- Some of Har's Greatest Composers. So, you, like you said before, because we just talked about what did we just do? We did. Uh, oh, we were talking about Martin in the Romero tribute yeah. we did, and we were saying about vampirism and the take on it, and you, you said a throwaway line like the 80s had their own thing with vampires and it's interesting that yeah when you put it in perspective you no one ever thought of until that time I mean there is and I didn't do the fucking research which sucks but what's the name of the pre Bram Stoker that the story oh that might just be vampire is it vampire about the woman you know what I mean it's like the it's the woman that it's a it's a classic story about a woman yeah. who's draining blood and she's getting into the and it's all it's well that's a real woman yeah exactly it's, it's like but how I don't know, but there's a story that like the first vampire story was written uh as part of that night, it was written by one of the people that's part of that night where Mary, Mary Shelley, Shelley and, and all them and, uh, got together. It was a great fucking weekend. <laughs> <laughs> that was one hell of a weekend. Not she a wrote, great movie, though. Yeah, she wrote Gothic, a Frankenstein. I think it's called. Okay. It a movie well, there is a vampire from the 30s, which, they, how yeah. they spell it with like P-R-Y. Yeah, yeah. You know, but... I um, could be wrong by it being... But there was a story, but the one you're talking about with, like, the Countess or whatever. Yeah, whatever. she would take virgins and, like, kill them because she and thought... And bathe in their blood. Yeah, and she was one of the first serial killers, that, and you know, recorded. They were... I mean, these ho- fucking horrible people that you learn later on that they were like, sure, if you whatever you want, because she's the queen of the land. But how... Yeah. It's like how Bram Stoker based some of his elements on Dracula from Vlad the Impaler. This person who did the... Maybe it's the vampire. I thought, I thought it was, like like, a woman's name. But they did it there. And so aside from her being, she was doing it, the real person, I think, in the story was doing it under the guise of she needed like virgin blood and it would keep her young, her skin yeah, or something. Yeah. So she's fucking bathing and, you know, you think of how much blood you're going to need to fucking fill a tub up. <laughs> you know, to, I mean, a full, to get your, to submerge yourself. So yeah, she yeah. was fucking killing a lot of people, uh, which is insane. Uh, but 
after you have Bram Stoker set the bar with Dracula, yeah. which is, believe it or not, like the turn of the century almost, because he lived until like the the teens. I think he might have even seen the production that, um, what's his face, Bela Lugosi did on overseas and then on Broadway, and that's how they hired him for the Universal movie. Uh, yeah. You I don't always know if had. He was still alive by then, because I don't believe he was alive when Nosferatu was. Oh, made. because she, the wife sued? Is that what it is? Yeah, it was like the estate or his wife was suing. That's why they couldn't call it Dracula. They, they had, had to call, call it Nosferatu. Okay, you're right. Yeah, you're right then. So that's. So, but it's interesting. So you take Nosferatu and then you take, you know, Dracula the, with Count Dracula, and it's always been for 50 years. Yeah. A do, I mean, it's a great story, and then you get like the, the Coppola version that really tells the book version which is a collection of like essays from different people which is arguable yeah some people might i'm just saying some people might take umbrage with with what with, with that it's that it's like an accurate representation of the book oh no i'm just saying that it's it's the first time that they're yeah you know because i read the book some years ago and it's a hard read because it's you're just reading a collection of diary entries yeah yeah. you know and it's it, i found the same thing with uh mary shelley's frankenstein i read that too and then it was i i, I might have been i mis- misread it but you have in the movie such a big buildup of of Doctor Frankenstein making the monster, and in the story, it's like a paragraph. Yeah, yeah. So the whole thing happens within a page. He get and it's it's like boy, Doctor Frankenstein's a fucking asshole because he animates this person, gets so disgusted <laughs> at what he did, and throws the fucking monster yeah, out. And then the yeah, monster's yeah. like, "What the well, hell?" That's, you know, you know what I mean? that's and then you're supposed to feel bad for Doctor Frankenstein. There has not been a truly great representation of. Frankenstein. Well, I liked yet. I, I mean, there are great movies. I love the movie uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Yeah, and I actually was going to say because I was just talking about it with somebody <clears> yesterday, <throat> and I was going to say we should do that that at some point. Yeah, because I actually like that movie a lot. Uh, it's flawed, but it's not a it's not an accurate representation of the of the book. Yeah, I mean because they they bring in a more part of her with uh, at the end and make the yeah, bride and anyway. they, they gloss over that. So we'll, it's we'll it's talk amazing about that. When yeah. we, get, we do that. So I mean we... aside from the Bram Stoker's <clears throat> version of him trying to to translate the book, you don't you have this idea of of a of a man Dracula for sure. how many years and it's it's this is the first time in 80 the mid 80s you have an idea of like hey, let's just make him younger. Yeah, and then know, you know well, well that's kind of the great I mean that's the thing that I don't think this movie gets enough credit for and very well look if somebody has if somebody could say like no there was a, this vampire movie where they were like young hot teenagers <laughs> like to let us know um <clears throat> but you know you have martin which was we talked about a very interesting take on the kind of vampire thing but uh you come the, come the 80s this is really one of, if not the first representation, you're right, of making them like young, seductive teens. You, so in essence, you know, without this, you might not have had Twilight or something like that. Or these more, these kind of this young vampire thing that we think of a lot now is almost being kind of cliche. Like Buffy and stuff. Uh, the beautiful thing, not beautiful, but the interesting thing about this movie as opposed to something like Twilight is it's not, they're not like these angst ridden, you know, having, you know, teens that have conflict with it. You know, I mean, Michael does because he's getting turned into one, (laughs) you know, against his will, but the lost boys, they seem like they're all into it. Like, yeah. Well, if you don't, they're monsters. Yeah. If if, I I mean, if, if, if they do have a conflict, they don't really let us know. Maybe, maybe it's not about that. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, they could be one of the things like there's explored an interview with the vampire 
when you really start to, to, to kind of psychoanalyze what's going on in their minds with becoming a immortal for sure. the rest of the time. But it appears, at least in the context of the movie, that the Lost Boys, these vampires, they're not reluctant. No, not at all. They're no. like they're like having fun. Yeah, and the, the, the '80s is an interesting time and in, uh, for vampires in general. And I think when I did the guest overs with Mike Vanderbilt about Fright Night, which is 1985, we kind of talked about vampire movies of the '80s because there was a little bit of a resurgence because you, you had '85 Fright Night, you had this in uh, early '87, and then you had Near Dark in later '87. Yeah. And he made an analogy that I think is kind of funny and somewhat accurate, which is like if we compared 80s vampire movies to like the British invasion, yeah, you'd have Fright Night's like the Beatles okay. of 80s vampire movies. They're like, they're fun, <laughs> you know, and uh, Lost Boys is the Rolling Stones. Yeah. They're, you know, it's still fun, but there's some edge to it. And then what is Near Dark? And Near Dark is like the kinks where it's like there's some asshole that's always like, the Kings is the best movement. <laughs> British Invasion. Yeah. You know, there's always, there's always somebody that, you know, and not take anything away from Near Dark, but there's yeah. always, but in my personal opinion, it's not as, I don't enjoy it as much as I like Fright Night and Lost Boys. Well, for me, Near Dark is, like, again, we talked about last week with Martin, her last, with the Romero tribute. It's, it's much more equatable, like it's a different take on. Yeah. This is a different take on vampirism, Lost mm-hmm. Boys, but Near Dark is, a, is like a flip the script of like a different perception of, of going against the lore, where here you don't have a lot of the lore. I mean, they're flying around and they have fangs yeah, and they, they want create, blood. They have to create some rules or, or yeah. use some rules, lay down some rules. I don't, I don't know if they necessarily created any new rules for the for this movie that weren't already existing. You know, throughout vampire lore, throughout the centuries, you know, th- these rules have come and become gospel, yeah. become, become canon. Uh, you know, it wasn't until Nosferatu that vampires couldn't be in the daylight. Yeah. You know, people don't think about that, but, like, that was created for a movie. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't in Dracula, the book. No. That was never really thought about that. Uh, they, you couldn't be in the daylight. Uh, they created that as a device to kill Nosferatu at the end of Nosferatu, spoiler alert. <clears throat> and I think it's the same way they killed Dracula at the end of uh, the Bela Lugosi, Universal Dracula. Yeah, probably. But that was not a device of like vampire lore until that movie. Uh, I don't think they create anything new, but there's very specific rules. We find out, you know, holy water always works. Staking through the heart will kill anybody, (laughs) you know, including a vampire. Uh, The sunlight is a thing here. We have the, you can't uh, uh, invite them into the house. Yeah. Which is, I don't know if it exists elsewhere. This was the first time I think I had ever heard that. I remember, not this time, obviously, but years ago, watching The Lost Boys. Well, that you have to invite him in. Like, that was the introduction of that piece of the lore to me, was this movie was the introduction of that device. That's not in Shelley's, um, not Shelley, that's not in Stoker's version. It could be, but this was the first time I had seen it. Yeah, well, because it's very specific with with Max, or he's like, is that his name, Max? Yeah, yeah. I was like, you're going to have to invite me in. It's like, (laughs) no, don't do that. Don't invite him in, but that's also in Fright Night. Yeah. Uh, so it definitely wasn't for this. I just I had seen this before. I had seen Fright Night, so that was kind of because that's a that's a part of Fright Night as well. Because yeah. in Fright Night, his mom's like, uh, "You can come back, come over whenever you want. <laughs> just drop like, no. in." And, like, Damn. and I haven't seen the uh, last time we saw um, 
what's the night what's the one the St- Stephen King movie the book that was in the movie Salem's Lot Salem's Lot I haven't seen that probably yeah, since I we watched s- that I haven't seen that since college yeah. when you and I watched that that time we watched like the two tapers so I it's really it, all I remember is like James James Mason then like you know uh, Bonacera is that Italian <laughs> no but the, the the but that is the saying is or something uh, and uh, so yeah you get this kind of at the time a pretty fresh take on vampires and it made the fucking vampires cool yeah you know it's definitely like they're the bad boys um great cast jason patrick plays michael but basically in a nutshell the idea of the movie is diane weist plays the mother lucy and she's had a divorce and she moves her sons uh michael played by jason patrick and Corey Haim, who plays sam moves them to santa clara yeah California to move in with her father, uh, leaving Phoenix, Arizona, leaving the father, leaving their father to move in with her father because of the divorce. So they get there, and it's clearly got to be summer because there's no school. They to do. I don't. I don't remember if it's in the book, <laughs> the novelization, or in the movie where they talk about like school. And Michael doesn't want to go. He's debating not going to school. That might be in the novelization, but um, so it's summertime. They move there, and so in a in a way, Michael and Sam are kind of uh, fish out of water. They're in a new place, and it's one of the things that I find very interesting about the movie. And it kind of it plays more in the novelization or the deleted scenes than you can find on like the Blu-ray. Cause a lot of the, all those deleted scenes are in the novelization, which is Michael is very much a guy who comes, he's, he's kind of doesn't know his role in life. Now he's kind of the father. He's kind of the, the man of the house, even though they have their grandfather, uh, the grandfather's played by Bernard Hughes, who people will know from Tron mm. doc Hollywood. And he played the grandfather on Blossom. Yeah. Blossom gets talked about a lot on the show for yeah. some reason. Which we bring up a lot in the trial of the Incredible Hulk. The, the Bix. The Bixby's connection to it. Um, so there's a lot of stuff where he's he's going to maybe get an earring. And that's yeah. still in the movie. And that's when he he's, that's when Star first talks to him. She's like, you know, that's a ripoff. Don't get that. In the deleted scenes and in the book, he he gets a job. He wants his own money. So he gets a job picking up garbage on the beach. Yeah. And he takes the money and he buys a leather jacket, which he has in the movie, but you see him buy that. It's like he's trying to give himself a makeover, almost. Trying to reinvent himself here. Was that after the first night when he goes to, like, the bonfire and then first sees Star and all that? Yeah, yeah. So he kind of sees... You know, when they're at that music festival, um, he he kind of sees how the kids are living. So he wants to kind of blend it, be a little more cooler, you know, and blend in. Yeah, he seems like he wants to he wants to kind of blend in. There's less of that here, but it also, it creates kind of an interesting, if you look at that aspect of it, as Michael being this person kind of uh, looking for identity and trying to find his place in this kind of like new, in in this new place, literally, but also in his his family dynamic and stuff that it makes, you know, it kind of makes him susceptible to, uh, wanting to belong to another group of guys or another family. The, you know, the interesting thing about this movie, one of the interesting things about this movie is that it's really all about family. You know, everything's it's, and, and there's a big discussion, which I was going to say for later, but 
there's a big theory about how this movie's all about homosexuality. And part of that, and we can get into that more, but part of, part of that argument is that the way the women are in this movie is like, they're all mother figures. You know, Diane Weiss is the mother. Uh, Max only really wants Diane Weiss to be a mother to the lost boys. You find that at the end, even though Michael, you know, has it is attracted to star star is a mother. She's the mother to, she's like a mother figure to Laddie, the kid, the kid, uh, so the, in essence, it's all this, the whole movie's about family and family dynamics and how, it, how they work. And Max, who owns the video stores, is the father to these, you know, the figurative fa- father to these lost boys. And Diane Weiss has her boys and, and uh, all that stuff. And Michael... It was, it's up to debate. It was like, which one's the hero? Like you got Michael and you also have Sam, you know, people look at Sam and automatically kind of think that he's, he's like a closeted homosexual kid. Yeah. Uh, the fashion, he has t-shirts that say, you know, born to shop and yeah. <laughs> people point to the, like the very, uh, provocative oh, the Ro- Rob, Rob Lowe poster, poster up there. But it's like the time of like, that's like the, like, you know, the, who's the boss of the eighties, the kid on that. I mean, who actually turned out to be yeah, homosexual yeah. in real life. But back then that was semi cool to be kind of like, you know, the, the, the I remember that when I was in the eighties growing up, like if you had an ear, a piercing in your left ear you were cool but if you had it in your right you were gay you know yeah, it's like yeah, all those yeah. kind of weird conundrums of life yeah i don't know how much i buy into like all this in, you know at least intentional gay subtext well you gotta remember though too that to a certain extent joel schumacher was gay well not i mean not to a, that, not not to a certain he, extent he was gay. yeah and he and is he, and he, he may still is been, you know and he may have even been still been, been openly gay at that time yeah so he i'm sure he injected interjected a lot of that in there and for me i see a lot of uh like Jim Morrison ish weird stuff in here. Aside from the blatant, the the Doors song at the beginning uh, by Echo and the Bunny Man, as well as the the big uh, I don't know if that's like a uh, a big picture picture or something, yeah something you know. a tapestry hanging in the in their their lair. But even like Jason Patrick, how he looks, and to me, you know, the Doors got their start in Venice Beach, which we touched upon is at the conclusion of Falling Down, another Joel Schumacher movie. So it's, their thing is a, was a real beach beginning in in. To me, uh, Jason Patrick looks very much like, you know, like a young Jim Morrison circa 66, 67, walking around with like the hair as, yeah, you know, like yeah. that with the shirt off. And then there's like, there's so many Dorgeous references in the movie, which I don't know what the correlation here is. I mean, because, you know, in the 80s, Doors, like I, we said, they weren't really around. They didn't get a revival until they were cool, like in 79, 80. But a lot of the movie, a lot of the songs, especially psychedelic or, rock classic rock at that time had been pushed away either by disco or in the 80s by like you know hair bands or gnr you know like that so it's interesting to have the the a lot of the visual aesthetics them you know uh you know especially them having the you know unless we learn to find out that they're much older you know the 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 why uh, the lost boys so maybe they were listening the lost boys you know we don't know how old they could they could be Hundreds of That's what I'm saying. Old. So they for all know. we know, they they could have just really liked us when they came on the scene and they just <laughs> well, they stuck with the music. Turned into vampires in the '60s. Yeah, you know. So you don't know. Yeah, and they just kept held on to it. So I, you know, I see a you lot know, of that. I, I think you get a lot of. I think there was, oddly enough, I think it's the commentary for the movie "Bring It On," where the director talks about. I think the the guy in that. And there's a scene in that movie where the guys wearing like a class shirt. Yeah, and he, and he, the direct, he's the director on the commentary says, you know, you can always tell like what 
the director of the movies into music wise because that's what he puts in the movie so maybe Joel Schumacher is just the big doors fan. yeah yeah <laughs> I mean because I, I, I remember when I was little people used to say like you know if they made a doors movie Jason Patrick has to play Morrison but yeah. then you have Val Kilmer playing yeah, yeah. but he you know he, he would have played a great Morrison circa back yeah, then I love Jason Patrick yeah okay? he's a great actor um, I also think you know uh, you know I'm not as uh, knowledgeable about the history of the doors as you are um I'm a fan of the Doors, or used to be, or you know, as people. But the Doors are specifically a, like a teen band. Like there's that is a band that like it's a rite of passage for teens that are in the music. I yeah. Feel like, and 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 they all and I think a lot of people grow out of it. You know, once they get to a certain age. But being a movie about being a teenagers and kind of living as teens forever. Yeah. The and door- having that. It seems like the doors are kind of like the perfect thing. Yeah. <laughs> the perfect like musical representation of that, or at least like idol representation. So I wonder if that's a, then a, another... And also, you know, the doors, there's a lot of like mysticism and and stuff within the music. Yeah. Which I think also plays into, not necessarily the supernatural, but like a spirituality or like, a, like I said, like a mysticism. The in, shamanism. In the lyrics. Yeah. Of, I wonder then if it's also, then if you started bringing the homoeroticism in there too, that if, if you know, if, if it's a, a natural choice to have Jason Patrick kind of look like a Jim Morrison, is that the reason why then you have, uh, what's his face, Keith Sutherland start to be kind of attracted to yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. To, well, to have him join it, the band, know? you know what I mean? That, to have him join the band, have him join the gang, you know? <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's it's as soon as Michael meets David, yeah, it's like he's more infatuated with David than he is Star, which is something you see in you know, and it's it's the you, you and that you know I think we're comfortable enough in our own heterosexuality to say that you know growing up that's where you you, you may go into a new school or new something you meet somebody and you're like that guy's cool yeah, yeah. and you have like a bro crush you know yeah. you know and I remember growing up I thought James Dean was like you know the coolest guy out there or Clint Eastwood you know because you identify as a role model or something yeah. you know you're not, you idolize him to a certain extent so I wonder if that's a little you know he comes into this new town he sees Keith or Sutherland and yeah, it is a little more like he's a bad boy. I want to be the bad boy, you know, in the town on these awesome bikes they have. But at the same time, you have a little bit of a, I'm not, you know, not necessarily sexual, but an attraction of David, the Kiefer Sutherland character, to Michael because we find out that Michael was supposed to be Star's first kill. Yes. Like she's not, she doesn't fully become a vampire until she murders and drinks the blood of her kill. And Michael was supposed to be that. But then David, some at some point, changes has a change of heart, and wants David to come and be a part of their group, and not necessarily just be a victim. And there's like you know, there's the teasing, there's the maggots. Well, you think it's around that time when they're all like you know, uh, you know, the bike chase, and then like you know, there's the the girl in play where he kind of. You know, he stands up to David a little bit when when he's trying to have Star leave with him, and then you know Keith is like, "No, she's coming with me." And then he's like, "Can you follow?" And then maybe it's, yeah, you know, maybe he says, you know, I, you know, at some point he has a realization that like, you know, uh, maybe this kid can be part of the club. One of as us, opposed- Michael. Yeah. You're one of us. <laughs> one of us. One, you know. So and then and then it also begs the question since you read the novelization, like, what's the connection with the boy in it? You know, I mean, well, how is you know we. It's it's made kind of to be clear that you know on for I think maybe the casual viewer will look at it and think that star that star's little brother yeah but it's not supposed to be star's little brother no. she's just supposed to have a motherly kind of you know want to take care of him but we don't ever learn uh, what's that one don't let the right one in let the right one in 
the one with about the the, the yeah, child vamp. The right one, in, yeah. Yeah. So I wonder what the idea there, because that's also uh, what's the there's a there's a really famous child who I should know his name of in the '80s in New York City who they just now discovered uh, the killer for, and that was the one of the first. Um, posters on a milk carton yeah you know and yeah uh, well yeah we see laddies yeah and he's picture. on the milk carton and like you said there's a there's a theme of that through even like that the beginning that that overweight security guard getting killed and you know and then the poor the poor wife putting his thing up and you yeah, know she yeah. looks i was about to cry there that for <laughs> you know like that moment they shared again yeah. you know so it's like i wonder yeah i you know like i said I, I didn't make it all the way through the novelization before we got to meet and uh, talk about the movie so I don't know if the laddie thing ever comes up in later in the book it's certainly not in like the first part of the first half yeah. of it there's a lot of this there's a lot of stuff with that's like a lot of it's in the deleted scenes like the more stuff of Sam and Michael being brothers yeah you know wanting each other's you know Michael Sam wants to move into his room and Michael calls it that kind of stuff and there's a lot of playing around with the kind of the brother dynamic there uh, the kind of rival gang, the surf Nazis, the yeah. surf Nazis have a much bigger, they're part. fleshed out a little more, right? Because that, that's the, you, yeah, they're only here as like almost, yeah, they steals the comic and then they get killed in the, you know, the, the car, top of the car gets ripped off. But isn't there like a little back and forth there at the, at maybe at the, yeah, there's the first encounter. Yeah. You know, there's a then, little bit of that. And like the, maybe on the, the boardwalk. Or the, yeah. Um, but then they have they like they even have names. There's more of them. There's more about them in the beginning. Yeah. Of, in the beginning of the book, like I said, there's the Michael wanting to get a job. Michael not wanting to go back to school. And I can't tell if he means like I don't want to go to college or like he just wants to drop out of high school. We should acknowledge that the, the novelization was written by Craig Shaw Gardner, who who must have been contracted with Warner at the time because I think this is a Warner movie, and he also did the Batman. In mm-hmm. Batman Returns, novelizations for Keaton or you know Tim Burton's yeah. both things, which are great, which we brought up, you know. So um, and then there's a little more of the ba- vampire lore, isn't there? About like the yeah. the can and the cans. Yeah, there's you more know. stuff, and uh, you know, like you know, salt stuff. sticking to their forms and like uh, uh, not being able to uh, cross running water and that kind of a thing. You know, all these yeah, little tidbits. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Santa Cruz in Spanish is uh, you know, I think it's cross or holy cross or something. Yeah. So it's just it, funny because they went to uh, Santa Cruz because they wanted to shoot on the boardwalk, and, and it had this great vintage amusement park that's right on the water there. But the city of Santa Cruz like read the script. Uh, <laughs> they're like, "No, nah, you can't shoot here. We won't give you the per- permits yeah. because we don't want to be known as the murder capital of the world." <laughs> Which they had already had been. They were, they uh, they had a reputation. Uh, they were called Murdersville, USA, because they had three serial killers in the seventies: uh, Carpenter, Kempler, and Mullen. Uh, that were getting their yeah. their. They didn't want to like advertise yeah. it in a movie. So the, yeah, so <laughs> at that point, so they they I guess they were able to shoot there, but they just changed they had the name the name to Santa Clara yeah. Yeah. which I can understand I mean you know to a certain extent yeah uh, but you know and, and they never explain the the you don't get too much of, of their backstory the Lost Boys themselves no we have this kind of cool you know yeah. in a way but you don't have anything about like you know, you have all, all the POV of them flying, and you never really learn. Do they have wings? Or are they just floating? You like know that they have like the feet. Feet. They have the bat feet. That they and can a lot hold of that comes stuff. out of the fact that they just didn't have budget. Yeah. You know? But oh, but it's perfectly like you said. It's perfect. Yeah. It, it, you don't need to show, like, but it's just like the POV, like helicopter shots, were strictly because they didn't, they couldn't shoot it another way. Yeah. So it became this way of like, how could we 
show that they fly and and i think it works kind of brilliantly yeah it's actually quite scary because then it leaves it up to the to the viewer to try to like what are they you know you what are you seeing you know and, and yeah but it's also something about it too that's very whimsical you know the fact that you're oh it's like law it's like the lost boys yeah yeah you know or when or it's like peter pan making you know here we go with the magic dust and yeah. you can fly it's out like the window you as the viewer are flying <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know yeah, you're part of them uh, and then, you know, Nanook, which is, uh, the name of their dog in it, which, you know, you and I, f- from going to film school, we know Nanook of the North, Nanook of the North, the documentary, but it's like the first, well, not the first, but you know, because the only we air movies were technically documentaries, but one of the great early documentaries about uh, Eskimo life. Uh, yeah. And, uh, but they also, it was inspired by Nana, the dog was Wendy's dog and, uh, Peter Pan. So that's what I guess they went from Nana to Nanook. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and then that's also another thing where you know you get from Bram Stoker's Dracula that the Dracula that the uh, he's the, he's able to physically transform into a wolf or into a beast or whatever. And I always love that idea where you don't really get that with Dracula from Bela Lugosi on where he turns into a he may demon out and get some red eyes and some fangs and look fucking pissed. Yeah. But you don't really have the uh, again. I don't. Like you're saying, the the lore until this movie, you have that idea that like you know, their feet have to be human at some point because they're not walking around with those bat feet. You know what I mean? <laughs> so into yeah, motorcycle boots. Yeah, it's like ah, it's you know, yeah, really big boots. You know, but at some point they're able to change to hang on upside down, and then you know you have that part with Keith or Sutherland has the reveal where you see him. They put some prosthetics so he looks scary as all hell, yeah, and then yeah. at the end with what's his name, the actor Ed Ed Herman, maybe what's the the guy who plays Max? Oh yeah, yeah, that's Ed Ed Herman. Yeah, yeah. Ed Herman who in the 90s had a huge career as like a TV, you know, he, I think he was doing like the Infinity Car commercials and stuff like that. He yeah, was he a commercial a guy. a lot of voiceover work. Yeah, I think he passed away in, uh, well, a couple up, years ago. Until recently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, when he has his reveal and he turns around and like, it's very much for me like, you know, uh, from dusk till dawn, everyone's like, oh, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? It's funny because I've always kind of felt in this time even just watching it this time even just like solidified like when he turns into a vampire i feel like he turns into john lithgow like he does have like a really like oh, he no. looks just like john lithgow as a vampire and i remember that when i was little that being such a reveal that his daughter do- that that he was yeah the, you know but but because then, they they set him up as a red herring and then they debunk it yeah you know in the movie and, like, uh, and how Corey did, Haim is sam is convinced that he's the that he's a vampire and how do we explain that away the debunking how how is he not react to garlic or across? Well, one they say that garlic when they fill the when they fill the tub with holy water and they put garlic in it and then they kill the blonde guy, vampire. Yeah. And he's like, "You guys, garlic doesn't work." You know, so that's the garlic thing doesn't work. But add it with holy water, it's you <laughs> know. Then, but the holy water does yeah. work, so it's so so that so that's what kills him. Yeah. Uh, so the garlic thing is, you know, just in terms of the reflection. I think he said that like if you invite him in. Maybe. I think he says something about it. There's, there's like, a throwaway at the line. End, where he's like, there's a throwaway line. Like, don't you know, don't ever invite him in because then the, your like, the powers are useless or something to that. Because we <laughs> still, like you said, we have the sun because there's that cool scene where you have uh, Keith are trying to hold on and then he yeah. gets burnt. And then there's, I love that moment. It's like so uh, deep in the movie where he's, he, he's burned and he comes back and then you zoom in and then he, like a tear drops. <laughs> And you're like, oh my god, that's such a great moment. But then when you learn technically, what it was is it's because con- they were still using those crazy glass contact lenses. So yeah. it was like a half of a imagine like half of a 
golf uh, ping pong ball. Yeah, you stick it out of your fucking eye. Your eye that covers your entire first half, like front half of your eyeball. Yeah, and they would physically paint them yeah. with paint. You know, like uh, same with uh, Fright Night. They would physically paint the design on there. And so you put it on, and so you could only wear it for like three to four minutes because your eye would get all dried out because your eye can't breathe yeah. underneath the glass. Uh, so his eyes were just really fucking yeah, so irritated. irritated. <laughs> and, just, that's, and it just works. And they left it in, and it's like so perfect. Yeah. You know, it, it adds this whole level of like, oh, like it's like almost like it's meta, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's, like, did he enjoy it or is he sad that it's, you know, that it's yeah, his yeah. plight or whatever, you well, know? He's, he's great, and he in this he's kind of perfect and I even remember as a kid being almost like haunted by him well he has the least amount of lines in the entire movie but well, he doesn't need like it main th- of the main character yeah and yeah. he's just he's just but he's, he's very striking I mean he's striking in this and I also found him I remember him being very frightening and striking in Stand By Me too as a kid yeah like I, I'm, you know, thinking back, to how, talking about it now, it didn't even occur to me even when we were watching it. But talking about it now, it's like I always had like this weird fear of Keith because Keith of these Sutherland movies. Because he, you know, because he's a real fucking scary guy at Stand By Me, and then in this, he's you know he's, he's a vampire. He's, he's a, a vampire. vampire. Yeah, well, he didn't want to do the picture they said here, but then. Uh, Schumacher saw at close range his performance in that and he, yeah. he wanted him and then I guess what won him over was he knew that In Excess was going to do some the soundtrack and he had spent a summer in Australia with In, in Excess maybe hanging out with them the guys mm-hmm. so he got the part there and you know it, it, even the, the opening scene on that carousel is really brilliant how you set everything up like it's almost like you know we always talk about the um, like we did in the Warriors about the juvenile delinquency in the 50s so you have this gang of kids jumping on yeah, and yeah. you think it's going to go one way and the other badasses but you don't really know how badass they are and once that you know that overweight security guard you know rightfully so throws them off but he you know roughs them up a little bit then by the end of that before the maybe before the credits or whatever they, they fucking kill the guy <laughs> and it's you know it's, it's yeah, like yeah. you said it's, it's so effective because lack of budget, but you know it's frightening. They they take, they take his fucking driver's side door off. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then they pick him up, and you don't know whatever well, happens. It's to that the guy. idea of like what you don't see, what your imagination will do, is, can be scarier. Than, yeah, than, than the than actual they showed it to you. Which we've it's a theme we've also talked about yeah. on this podcast. But it's such a great device. So yeah, you you set up him, and then it's an example of maybe you know to a certain extent the philosophy of a Steve McQueen or Clint Eastwood. Like sometimes less lines are better. Yeah. You can you know five lines can be eliminated by a look. And Keith or Sutherland certainly in this movie has that, I, you know, that, you know, he's sexy, he's uh, a badass, he's mysterious. I'm sure, you know, women, you know, I bet you there was, uh, hey, you know what, this is actually a great question for female listeners. You know, was, when you were growing up, if you were in this era, was there a rivalry like, no, I like Jason Patrick. No, I like <laughs> Keith. Or, no, I like the kid from Liquid Television and, uh, you know, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Yeah, or, you know, yeah, Bill, you know. Yeah. I do have to say, though, that Blake is wearing a Wild Stallion shirt as we record this. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yes. So uh, a little shout out to what's his face from um, Bill Ale- and Ted's. Alex. Yeah. Winter. Uh, uh, yeah. And also Jason Patrick didn't want to do the movie either. Yeah. Um, he thought it was I mean, he was also like, I mean, he was reluctant. He didn't want to do it. And even Schumacher wanted him to do it. And even his agent wanted him to do it. Yeah. Uh, and I forget why he ended up deciding to do it. But so they finally got him to do it. You know, Joel Schumacher, clearly, when you hear him talk about him, you can tell Joel Schumacher had a crush on him. He's like, you just, you were, you were, we just couldn't, there was not an actor 
he talks about uh, there was not an actor in his age group that was as good looking and as good an actor as Jason, Jason Patrick, Patrick yeah. was at that time, uh, and they really wanted him for it. And when they wanted to, and when they went to cast Star, uh, Schumacher really wanted like a blonde pixie wayfish, much like what's her face, Tinkerbell kind of a yeah, idea, yeah, kind of uh, woman, yeah. and and. Uh, Jason Patrick had done a play with Jamie Gertz and had done Solar Babies yeah. before this with Jamie Gertz and kept on saying like you should read Jamie for it you should read Jamie for it and finally he, they brought in Jamie Gertz and you know she, he, he loved her you're making it sound like it's that relationship from Crispin Glover in the doors as uh you know what's his face? He plays um, uh, uh, Andy Warhol with Morrison's. Like I have it, and I can talk to God with it. But you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, like it's like whatever you say, you know, Jason will do. You know, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. and uh, it's funny because uh, for those of you that don't know, I recently started a, another podcast on the side called Twenty One Pod Street, and there, and with the introduction of Twenty One Pod Street, I've actually had people seem listeners seem worried about whether I'm going to continue to do my contractually obligated <laughs> mentions of 21 Jump Street and they were actually suggesting other <laughs> other shows other shows you should start being <laughs> that I should mention yeah uh, 21 Pod Street is a podcast completely devoted to 21 Jump Street the TV show from the late 80s and early 90s and I will say that for this episode I will mention 21 Jump Street in the context of the podcast in that Solar Babies also stars Peter DeLuise who plays Doug Pinhall yes. on 21 Jump Street there's this hilarious like publicity still that it's supposed that it's like if you go on IMDb I think for Solar Babies it's in like the photos for Solar Babies but it's so 80s of Jason Patrick and uh, Jamie Gertz in like 80s sweaters like yeah. not Solar Babies you know futuristic sub you know like the apocalyptic post-apocalyptic attire like green sweaters white pants and sneakers like sitting with like their legs wrapped around like wrapped around each other like cheek to cheek it's like the funniest it's like, it's like their debut album together <laughs> yeah it was like they're going on their mall tour <laughs> well this movie here it's like there's so many references to 80s pop culture like I, I completely forgot about the wristwatch wall clock that, yeah, that, that yeah. Corey Haim has in his uh, in his thing, and then you have like uh, what's his name, Ed Herman. His his complete outfit, you know, all the sure, time you yeah. see him is so, you know, it's so eighties. It's so like um, Max Hedrumish, you know, like yeah. you know, uh, and it's it's you know with the shoulder pads and stuff like that, and uh, certainly the stuff Corey Haim's wearing to a certain extent is very trendy. But then the, on the you have polar opposite, you have like the you know, Corey Feldman and yeah, the other the guy, the Frog Brothers, Brothers where the that I. I guess uh, Rambo-ish. Yeah, they uh, Schumacher wanted him to. They looked look like the action movies of the time. So told uh, Fellman and the other kid to go watch Rambo and Chuck yeah. Norris. I do you have know. to say before we move off of Jamie Gertz that I've always had a crush on Jamie Gertz. Yeah, I haven't. I I've forgotten about her because I haven't seen her as of late. Like I don't. You know, I forget what she's in. She had she had some sitcom for a while. It was one of those sitcoms. Where there was a period when we were in college. Yeah, sitcoms, especially it seemed on CBS, were like hot chicks with fat husbands. Yeah, so you had like King of Queens. Yeah, <laughs> this was another one. Jamie Gertz and that like heavy British actor who I think is in the Full Monty, and he's also in. Oh, and he plays an American on the show. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there was like Alfred Molina had a sitcom. Oh, he's the guy that time. plays. Um, 
he plays Fred Flintstone in the first Flintstone live action movie. I think it's him. Well, that's John Goodman. No, I'm sorry. Like in the, the sequel, f- like the third, one when they go to like Rock Vegas one. or whatever the hell it yeah. is, Viva Rock Vegas. He's yeah, also he's, yeah. in uh, a Knight's Tale. So what's the one with I think Heath Ledger? Him. Yeah, Knight's Tale. He's in that. Yeah. yeah. And while we're here, too, uh, random useless information that no one will need to know except in Jeopardy, that uh, Jason Patrick's uncle was Jackie Gleason. So if there's some sort of marriage. I think I knew that. Yeah, probably because of me. Probably. <laughs> you know, because I'm a huge Jackie Gleason fan. And, and uh, I'm a huge Jason Patrick fan. Yeah, I mean, it comes together. And I met Jason Patrick twice because he was having that recent legal battle with his... Uh, he had married a girl. They weren't married. They had a child together. And then the woman left, you know, this with the... Uh, and she took the, the child and he was just trying to get... Like, custody. Just to see... Or just to even vis- visitation yeah. rights and she wasn't letting him. So, it was this, so he brought it to publicity so he was doing like the show circuit so i met nice. him twice so he was on to talk like a real serious thing yeah, so i couldn't yeah. really talk to him about like you know i love the beginning of narc <laughs> you know or yeah. you know i loved your scene in rush with uh, jennifer jason uh, lee I'm wink big, wink i'm a big fan of rush <laughs> yeah i know so you know you couldn't you're always just like hey you know you're an awesome actor nice to meet you but you can't really start like hey yeah. can i ask you some will you take a picture with me and sign my lost voice <laughs> <laughs> even though you want to talk about your kid you know yeah. your, your, your toddler uh, like you said alex winter he plays one of the lost boys and i believe i think i must have told this story already i don't think but you... i met and kind of hung out with billy worth who's like the now you might not have who's like the hot like brunette <laughs> yeah the the the, the uh, in which in how does he does he get staked or is he the one that falls in the tub he's the one in the, st- the stereo he oh, okay. Death by stereo. Now, uh, you might have told this story uh, in the when you went to L.A. We have a yeah. side cast of your journey to L.A. going and do stuff, which is maybe like a year and a half or a year. Right when your book tour came out, when you, you went to go sign. Well, I went to L.A. in April. Of 2016. Of 16, yeah. And so, so that like, came up. So, yeah, it was just over a year ago. And you talked about when you got back of, of doing a book signing there for your book, Score to Death, conversations with Well, that was even before the uh, book signing. But I did go out there to meet with the publisher, and I, that was when I met some of the composers for the first time in person. Yeah, and kind of started a friendship with them. So when you got back, you told us you told a uh, you told a, a whole story of your, your excursions out in L.A. Yeah, and it was going to start being like a reoccurring thing. Like when Blake's out, we're going to talk <laughs> to him about. And they only only got one out. But yeah, we talked about doing it on my second trip to L.A., but we never. And because it, it, and this is the if people who have been listening, this is where we had the story with. Um, Lance Henriksen, we are a tribe, and you oh, got we are, the book. That's the, that's, we are that's a tribe the story. Yeah. So let's tell this quickly the story again because I think it's rather funny. It's almost like you're John Lifgow walking down the street <laughs> for three blocks together that you told yeah. Harry and the Hendersons. Yeah, see so, how I try to poke Blake to tell these stories. So I'm in L.A. Yeah. Uh, going to a, a monster. Or? It was Monster Palooza. Yeah, I went out there for something else, but um, Monster Palooza was there, and. A tip for anybody who's tr- likes to travel: if you find if you're going to a city and you find out if there's a convention of some sort or an expo, and there's a hotel, just call the hotel and tell them that you're part of the expo, and you'll get reduced rates because they have group rates. Shh. <laughs> Is that what you did? So you but bad, I, bad boy. But I decided that I was I was like I'm going out there that weekend anyway. Yeah. So. I would love to check out Monster Palooza, so why don't I just stay at the Monster Palooza hotel, and then I'll get a get a whole weekend pass for Monster Palooza. And when I'm not doing other stuff, I'll just head over to Monster Palooza. So I was I was there, you know. I did partake in the. It wasn't a lie. I did partake. No, you did. Yeah, we have we have the podcast <laughs> to prove it. But uh, so I decided on uh, uh, one of the reasons why I was there was like I was going to meet with um, the guy that. 
uh, is opening the science fi- Hollywood Science Fiction Museum and the H- Hollywood Horror Museum. And he was going to be doing something at Monster Palooza. He's doing a lecture at Monster Palooza for the Horror Museum. And so I got all dressed up because I was going to go have dinner with him and have dinner with some of the composers and actually had dinner with uh, Brian Yuzna and some some other horror-related people. So I'm leaving. I'm going to walk over to the convention center. It's the Friday night, so the convention's going to start at like 6 maybe or something. So I start to walk. I start to walk. I leave the hotel. I'm walking over, and there's this guy standing at the outside of the hotel, and he's a good-looking guy, dark hair. Um, and he's like, "Are you going to the the? Con- are you walking to the convention? <laughs> you look like a guy who's walking <laughs> to the convention." <laughs> well, I, I constantly get asked like directions, what time it is. If I'm in a store, people will ask me like, "Do you work here? Where's this?" I must carry myself with some kind of like air of authority where people no- think I know what I'm doing. So this guy's like, are you going to the, are you walking over to the convention? And I said, yeah. And he's like, you know where it is? And I said, no, but I was told that it's this direction. If we just walk this way, he's like, well, can I walk with you? I was like, sure. <laughs> I guess I'm walking that way. So we're walking and he's like, so what are you doing? Do you have a, you going to, he's like, do you have a table at the convention? I was like, no. Um, I said, but I wrote a book about horror movie music. And he's like, oh, that's cool. He's like, well, you know, I've directed and this and that. And, and uh, so I said, well, what are, you do- or, what are you doing at the convention? He's like, well, I got, a, I got a table. I'm doing a signing. I was like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, I was in The Lost Boys. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Holy fuck. I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, you're the guy from The Lost Boys. Motherfucker. <laughs> I was like, you're from The Fucking Lost Boys. And uh, so then we talked, and it was like a 15, 20 minute walk or something from the hotel to the. It wasn't close. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that close. And so we just, I walked with Billy Worth all the way to the convention. And then we stood outside the convention and continued talking for a while because we were in mid conversation. And he was like, hey, man, it was like, nice meeting you. If you come by, like swing by the table. Uh, so I had a nice long discussion, nice walk. Uh, you didn't get a picture with him, though. Did I you? didn't get a picture with yeah. him. But I did go to the convention later in the weekend and I decided to walk over. And I walked over to his table and he's like, Blake, what's <laughs> up? Like, you know, the Sunday. You know, yeah. this was Friday, Sunday night. He was like, hey, Blake, man, how are you? How, you know, how's this weekend going? You know, how's the, did you meet with your people? You know, how, did you walk around the convention yet? And there was another actor there that I think he's, <clears throat> was a friend of his that just had him come. And it, I, I wish I could remember his name. It, but if you saw him, you would recognize him because he's he's one of like the bad guys in. Uh, he's one of like Biff Biff's guys in Back to the Future Two. Okay, and it was just one of those guys that if you saw him, like, oh yeah, that guy. Like I've seen that guy a million times. Yeah. So he introduced me to that guy. He replaced Billy Zane's character, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, in the future part of yeah. The, uh, back to the future too so that's my that's in a nutshell that's my story of like meeting and kind of you know getting to know billy worth a little bit that's pretty cool and uh i wanted i would have loved to have gotten inform you know like his contact i didn't think to get like his contact information because it would have been cool to like have him on the show or at least do an interview that we could cut to yeah yeah uh, with him about the lost boys but good dude yeah so uh, it's good to know himself. so i in some weird way have a lost boys story yeah uh, of course, Alex Winter, we know him best as uh, Bill S. Preston from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Excellent. but And Bogus Journey. Yeah. But he's also a co-writer and director and star of the movie Freaked. 
which I know is a big Saturday night movie sleepover. We haven't done it, but I know that there are some sleepover movie fans out there that like that movie. Yeah, and he had a, in the early 90s, I knew him, he was on MTV. I think he hosted Liquid Television, and he did some other stuff there. And I was like, oh, it's the guy from, um, you know, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And I know, and I hear that they are trying to get a yeah. Bill and Ted 3 off the Well, I've ground. seen pictures of the two of them together, him and Keanu. Yeah. You know, um, so that'll be cool. I, I wonder how they would, you know, uh, work that out, but I'm sure that, you know, it'd be pretty cool. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it, so we have the, the, then the other side of this, you have the Frog Brothers. Yeah. Their names are based off of, of course, their Edgar and Allen, also Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. And, uh, this is the first movie, the Corey's Haim and, uh, Feldman work together. Appear together, yeah. Yeah, and then after that, what is the next movie? Must be Licensed to Drive, maybe? Probably, yeah. I always remember them, uh, Corey Haim being in Goonies, and he's not, is he? No, no. <laughs> Feldman know? is. Yeah, so I always remember, what's his face? Bra- uh, Sean Aust- Aston? Yeah, you always picture him as... Yeah, I always think that's Corey Haim, and then I, and then I also th- never remember that that's the son of uh, Patty Duke and uh, John Aston, a.k.a., yeah. um, what's his face, from... Um, Gomez from the original yeah. um, Adams family, but movie I hear that he's show. not actually his son. It's a step, he's, the he's step like dad? a stepson, but they, you know, he kind of thought of him as his dad. Oh, so he okay. took his name. Yeah, because they had some. Because I always thought that for years too, and then recently, within the last when year, she or two, passed away, I found out that Don Aston actually wasn't his like yeah. biological father. It might have been even been something where she cheated on him because she had some a lot of um, issues with depression and she was bipolar. So she had a rough time yeah. during their marriage, and then he shows up of all places. He's like the straight father in Freaky Friday, and it's so funny because then you have it's like roles reversed. It's like that in Neighbors where you you know you have John Belushi play the straight guy, and Dan Aykroyd plays the nut in Freaky Friday. John Aston's the straight father, and then I think it's Dick Van Patten plays the <laughs> asshole. You think it would yeah, be you know yeah. reversed in the original Freaky Friday with Jodie Foster? Yeah, he's a frighteners. Yeah, oh, Jesus, you know he's he's amazing. Uh, yeah, but that's doesn't have anything to do with the Lost Boys. Yeah, but oh, which is we're talking about <laughs> Goonies. So the Hames together. They got the you got the, the Hames the, the Corys. Yeah. Now, uh, I'm very fond of the Corys. Yeah. I have a lot of affinity for the Corys. It always um, seemed like a thing, though, to me. It never, one, I, I think, well, in recent years, and I've discussed that Sli- Silver Bullet has become literally one of my favorite movies. And that has a great performance by Corey Haim. Because I grew up, uh, for a long time, I was always like, Feldman's the better of the Corys. Because he had the kind of the better career. He had like the... The bigger career. He was in Gremlins. He's in The Goonies. He's in Stand By Me. Uh, so he was always like, he had. Time after time. He's in that Friday the 13th. Yeah, part four and the beginning of five and a cameo. Yeah. So I was like, Feldman had the better career. Feldman's the better Corey. But I've come to really appreciate uh, Corey Haim. It wasn't that. And it was very sad when Corey Haim passed. Wasn't that the kind of dichotomy they kind of had in that reality show where there was like, you know, that they kind of had that tension between them that maybe... Yeah, they had... The the, the concept of that show is like they had had a falling out and it was like reuniting them together again for this show. Yeah. And that show even ends with like a cliffhanger kind of and then they just never shot the rest of it and then Corey Haim died shortly after that. Uh but yeah, I always had a big. I always loved that. Of course, you know. Well, was, they were a product of the '80s, though, and people forget. And you yeah, look and at especially Drew. and then really into the '90s because I have to admit that I had a copy of Blowout. <laughs> yeah, was that it? Blow up, blow out. What's the the one with them with the? 
I think it's blown blown up. away. Blown oh, blown away. Not what? the the movie with uh, Jeff uh, Bridges and Tommy Lee Jones. No, yeah, the no. Other one, there yeah. was like a back. You know, for people that uh, our age will remember, there was a time of the erotic thriller. Yeah, so probably made famous mostly because of the success of Basic Instinct. Yeah, uh, but there was a time when you'd have softcore movies you had a you had a lot of them in the 70s with russ meyer but then with the resurgence of like showgirls and basic instinct you had this whole subgenre of like yeah you know you want to go rent a movie that you, at a video store and you can't find it yeah, like porn section we'll pretend it's a real movie yeah but there's gonna be a, <laughs> but for us, us as yeah. kids this and is a, pornography <laughs> and as someone who had just told us uh, recently had said to us behind closed doors a listener a new listener to the show boners happen so you know mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. a little shout out there so that was one of the things where dudes our age that were high school or younger you'd go to a, wow, you know what are you gonna you don't have act not like today yeah, yeah. you don't have access to no, you know you, had, you know you could get basic instinct you could tape cool surfaces off the off of hbo yeah, with you can, terry hatcher and jason uh what's what's the what's the guy from terminator t1 jason patrick patrick no that's uh, that's this guy yeah that's jason <laughs> patrick uh, robert patrick robert patrick Patrick got cool surfaces you yeah blown away with the Corys, and of course i had a huge crush on nicole Eggert. yeah you could try to find your brother's uh Playboy mags if you had a brother or you could try to make sense of the scribbles in the un, you know the Playboy channel that you don't get yeah Color of Night Color of Night with Bruce Willis yeah, there's a whole know. series of these yeah like kind of thrillers even me I, there was a movie which I don't remember and it's like one of Lee Marvin's last movies and it's one of those uh, movies like where he goes overseas and did a movie in Italy and there's like uh, I don't even remember the premise, but he's uh, you know he's shooting guns in it, but it's 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 like at a farmhouse, and there's just like you know they probably use Lee Marvin Can't for be like the same period. <laughs> no, this is the eighties, <laughs> but I'm saying how old is Lee Marvin in the early nineties? No, but I'm saying like you had these movies where it's like you know uh, they probably use Lee Marvin for three days, and the rest of the movies yeah, like just yeah. softcore porn, and you're like what the f-, you know? So you had to find these things in the video store, you know? Yeah, yeah, but there was that period where there was a lot of they were being played on HBO, and there was all these. Movies where you would get to see people like Nicole Eggert and Terry Hatcher. Yeah. Uh, it was a young adolescent coming into age, coming yeah. of age uh, boy's dream to have access to this stuff. Which you don't then. have now because nowadays you just have the internet. No. But <laughs> you know? uh, so Corey, I always had an affinity for the Corey's because of that movie. And License to Drive. That was always a classic with uh, Heather Graham. Yeah, and the Corys. But yeah, they grew up in the '80s with like Drew Barrymore, where they were just doing drugs. That like you know, isn't the rumor like Drew Barrymore was doing drugs at like five? She was, like, yeah, yeah. Well, you see pictures of her like at, a, at like the Golden Globes or something, yeah. at like some like banquet party, and she's she's like five or six, yeah. and she's smoking a cigarette. cigarette. She's got a, has, like, a champagne like, a glass of wine. You know, man. so it's like, and then you know, she was able to get past that, but then they sadly just kept partying into the '90s. I mean, they were probably friends with River, River Phoenix and yeah. that whole you know Johnny Depp and all that and then you hit the 90s and they as their careers sagged they both were you know had various addictions and stuff up until like you said when the Haim, Corey Haim died in 2010 and then which I'm still pissed about too is they didn't include him in the fucking Oscars in memoriam you know yeah they, they, they kept him out and every year they have they forget somebody yeah and they put somebody who doesn't even deserve being in there and yeah. they'll forget someone legitimate you know they'll, they'll, they'll you know they forgot freaking um 
like Richard Attenborough one year when he yeah. passed. And it's like, what the fuck? Are you, how can you forget <laughs> Richard Attenborough? Yeah, I mean, it's not like Corey Haim had the most prestigious career, but no, Lucas but he was, is a classic. Yeah, and, he's a he's a he's a bona fide actor. If you're gonna have like you know uh, the grip from fucking Jurassic Park in there, <laughs> you know what I mean? No, no offense yeah, to the grip. No, but I'm saying, Park. but you know, you have people in there like you know the the assistant screenwriter on like you know uh, Rafifi, and it's like, yeah. oh okay. You know, you can have fucking Corey Haim. You yeah, know, yeah. so Corey Feldman was really pissed after that. I remember he was. Yeah, yeah. But that correlates back to this, where they were going to do the two sequels. Um, you had Lost Boys: The Tribe, and then Lost Boys: The Thirst. Which they I were, never saw the Thirst, but I did see the Tribe. Now, isn't the third one? Is the, the, the I have a weird memory of Tom Savini being a vampire in one of these movies. So that might be the last one, the Maybe. thirst or something. I don't know. Where he's the only vampire Savini I know. His sex from, machine from <laughs> sex machine from Dust Till Dawn. Yeah, but I have a, of another version of him being a vampire in one of these movies like that. Yeah, the tribe uh, stars Keeper Sutherland's half brother Angus, Angus Sutherland, I yeah. think, and it it has Corey Feldman. I don't think the other Frog Brothers in that one. No, but the other Frog Brother might come back for the third one. Yeah, and then there's a brief cameo from Corey Haim. I rented that with the Brothers Hastings. Yeah, uh, who uh, Dave is the one I did the Silver Bullet cast with, and Steve is the one that did the music for our show. And one of the things as a group, the three of us loved were the Corys. Yeah, uh, so we I would go over to their house to watch the Corys reality show, and we rented the tribe. <laughs> And watch that. And they were, what was that, like 10 or 15 years after this? Yeah, that was late 90s, right? Or early 2000s? That was was post college. College, yeah. So post 2001. That might have even been post us living in Yonkers. So that's what, 2006, 7? Wow. I think I was living in the city because I would go there and spend like, be there drinking beer and watching movies until the sun came up and then get on a train. I'll get on the subway to get back to my apartment. Like, because it was like I could sleep on the floor. Where were they in Brooklyn? Yeah, they were yeah. in Greenpoint. Okay. Um, and uh, so watching that—that's yeah. weird because then Kane passes away in 2010. So there's only a small window there. Yeah, you know, 2006. Well, he, to died, 2000. he died shortly after the show. Yeah, like it was right after. I yeah. remember we were sad. It and was, they were gonna they weren't wasn't the, there's a story here where they were gonna get um him back for the uh, for the movie there the, that. Um, for the thirst, Fellman was serving as an executive producer, and and he got Ed- Edgar Frog. He was playing Edgar Frog, but he was getting he got Alan Frog to come back, the, the gentleman who played him, and they were going to have uh, Haim come back for something. But he died in March in 2010, and then the movie came out in October of 2010. Yeah, you know, so that's kind of sad. Uh, but. So this is the first time we see the Corys together in a movie. Yeah. Reportedly, um, they kind of knew of each other because they had mutual friends before this, but this was the first time they worked together. And it's funny, I never really think of this movie as like a Corey's movie. Yeah. Because, one, there's another guy. There's like the Frog Brother. Like They're, they're, like, they're not the Frog Brothers, yeah. you know? Uh, it's really, a, it's really a, a Haim picture. Yeah. And it seemed to be that way a lot, actually, that Haim was kind of the lead. Like License to Drive, and, and then he Feldman was the Feldman was kind of comic relief, like the this friend or the or this or the or the that. Um, but uh, so in my mind, I never really think of this as a Corey's movie. I think of this as a movie that has the both Corey's, yeah, not as a movie with the Corey's. Um, and I love, I you know, I've like I said, I've come to really appreciate like the the quality that Haim had as a young actor. Uh, I think it was like a total natural. He was a Canadian kid, kid actor, 
there was some, there's just a, there's, there was something about him that was very genuine in his performances, and it's what I really gravitate towards in the in Silver Bullet. Um, oh, he's great in Silver Bullet. Yeah, he scared the shit out of me when I was in that movie. Yeah, so much so you did two podcasts on. <laughs> I've done two podcasts, We're hoping for a third at some point. <laughs> yeah, maybe you'll do one with me. <laughs> we'll tie it up in a That's nice right. little. I haven't done one with you. Yeah, yeah so you're a co-host. Um, we can tie it up in a nice little uh, ribbon I, and bow. And I think Hame is great in this too. Uh, you know, he's. You know, they they think of him as the the director, you know, Schumacher, and they think of him as being like this victim, this fashion victim. You know, he's trying; he's dressed as very hip, and uh, especially for the '80s, and he's got you know like uh, frosted hair, mm-hmm. uh, bleached hair, and but at the same time, it's someone that I totally relate with, because uh, we were about that age. Yeah, we were probably maybe a little bit younger. Well, you seem like to me like the kid. I mean, he from- goes. To, he's walking the boardwalk, uh, into comic books. Which yeah, I was definitely into uh, that time. We never. We were gonna. We never got to when we did the Spider-Man cast. We never wrapped around to like the get having a subscription. Yeah, <laughs> we never completed that circle of having a subscription. For yeah, but we both had. I, yeah, we but I would had. go to the boardwalk and buy comics. Like I would do that. So I was kind of really related to the Haim character. Um, he had his dog, the yeah. Nook, and. He had an older brother, and I had an older brother, and the, the age difference is probably not that different from me and my older brother. Yeah. So and your older brother was hanging out with vampires. And my other brother was always hanging out with vampires <laughs> on the boardwalk yeah. and, you know, riding his motorcycle around, mm, yeah. his dirt bike around. Right around, on, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so, and I find the relationship, people even look at, which I, this I don't agree with, they look at the relationship between Michael and Sam as being kind of weird and sexual that Sam has like a who crush are, on his own brother but who are these people that, like I mean I don't mean I'm questioning you yeah. but like where where are you where are you hearing this like uh, I'm I didn't even know about the homoeroticism a little bit I mean I guess you, you can look into anything and find anything yeah, anywhere, yeah. but like what where well where? I knew always knew that there was because I would talk about this with the Hastings about about Sam's character being gay and yeah. how we both kind of we the three of us kind of felt that in a weird way, like Sam was the Joel was Joel Schumacher's representation of like himself as a child, yeah. and so we always kind of we always put like a kind of a gay thing on it, Sam. It, it, again, it reminds me of like Alyssa, uh, Melissa Alyssa Milano and like her brother and uh, oh, Ga- Danny Pintaro. Yeah, and and, and uh, who, um, who's the boss? Because he yeah, yeah. he's a homosexual, I think, in real life, but yeah, you know, he was kind of when growing up, he was just a quirky kid but then he was kind of like asexual on the show yeah, yeah and then he started as he was getting older he started going like oh he's very feminine it's funny we had a I had a roommate and it was somebody that Deanna went to, went to school with named Felicito and I lived with uh, in a house and Felicito was one of the people that lived in this house also and we got into this thing where every night at 11 or midnight I don't remember for, for an hour at night we would both sit on the floor in my bedroom and we would watch Who's the Boss together <laughs> yeah it became ritual was it my dad who called Felicito Salminio yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know because Salminio in real life was gay <laughs> and we would watch it and uh, you know we'd be in stupid kids uh, I don't care and you're young 20 <laughs> yeah you know, no, but I, no, I'm not, I'm but not still, making it. And it was a different time then. Right, we, we, we're in our PJs right now, you know? No, but even like we, <laughs> we would talk about how gay Jonathan was, which is the character Danny Pintaro plays. Yeah. And, and, and I created this catchphrase that, that, that that's gayer than Danny Pintaro. Yeah. 
And so I was like, Jonathan, and we watched it. I was like, this kid is gayer than Danny Fintaro. But it was Danny Fintaro. And so I just kind of remembered that as being kind of stupid. Because in, in, the, because we're in no way... <laughs> and it wasn't a negative yeah. connotation. It we're in no way disparaging anything. But it's funny because back then you never thought of it. I mean, maybe yeah, because of was, our age this group. This was almost 20 years ago. No, but even years ago. when I was going, going oh, yeah, back yeah. in the day watching Who's the Boss, you never never crossed your mind for whatever yeah. reason. Like, wow, he's acting very feminine. Yeah. You know? So here it's like Corey Haim had never... I mean, he, they don't really... He doesn't really have any kind of love interest. He doesn't even... No, it's interesting because you know? he's the only one that doesn't. Even yeah. the grandfather has a love interest. Yeah. Uh, he's the only one that doesn't. So, oh yeah. So the original question was like, who who are these people that have these? Yeah, these, these theories. Are- I always kind of like I said, I always kind of thought about the the Corey Haim one, and that's because that was something that me and the Hastings would kind of talk about and pontificate about. Again, not in any kind of negative way, but yeah. thinking that this was like a charming, possibly a charming Joel Schumacher twist yeah. to put like put himself into Corey Haim's character. Um, some people say that there's a theory that Corey Haim was gay in real life, in real life, and that this was his from hour. that, yeah. you know, that just his like that he maybe had a crush on Michael, and that's why. Okay. I mean, on uh, Jason Patrick, and that's why there's this weird sexuality between them, which I don't read at all. But I have an older brother, and I know that, like, when you're a little brother and you have an older brother, that there is an affection, but it's not a sexual affection. It's, it's your brother. Like, <laughs> yeah, and it's it it, it, it is kind of weird um, to think about. You know, we talk about the '80s all the time and how dirty you'd have kids with, like, looking at porn mags and stuff in movies. Yeah. And you could have easily had a throwaway line where, like, Corey. Uh, Heyman's like, boy, she's hot star, but that yeah. doesn't, you know, to solidify the heterosexuality. <laughs> no, no. So, no, so, it's, so it is kind yeah, of ambiguous. So, so at, at some point <clears throat> over the years, people have been pointing to things in the movie that kind of stress the homosexuality in the movie. Well, definitely, I think you, what you said about David and, and uh, Michael is certainly there. Yeah, you, know? you can certainly read into that. There's whether even it's like a sexual infatuation yeah. or not, I mean, that's, that's whether you, what you want to how you want to read into it or uh, yeah just an adolescent tension of like you know um but you know the they say uh you know the the uh saxophone player uh what's <laughs> oh uh tom what's his face Some uh, italian name capello yeah tom capello who was the saxophone player at the time for i think tina turner, turner yeah and actually in the even into the 90s because when i saw tina turner live with my parents yeah city lopper opened but this was in the 90s uh he was still the saxophone player then so he's the guy that sings the song uh, still believe at the beginning of lost boys and he's all greased up and he's all muscly yeah and he's and he's the one who, yeah like you're saying he, he plays that part that's it's funny because the saxophone is so 80s and then to think back then like the saxophone is trying to be represented as like a like it's almost like an electric guitar so yeah. as tough as he's supposed to look greased up with like a half shirt at night <laughs> he's grabbing that little i think it's like an alto and he's <laughs> licking off alto lines and people are like he's so cool and yeah well you know mysterious. david looks He's looking around and he finds Star. Star catches his eye, and my uh, Sam, well, Michael looks and finds Star, and then Sam looks and sees that Mi- that Michael's staring at Star, and then tries to like turn Michael's head back to. So there's all this stuff of like, oh, Sam's getting into like watching. That Sam's um, like Sam likes the Tim, greasy um, dude, uh, Capellos. Yeah, and then he know? he doesn't understand why Michael's not. Is it to? <laughs> it's just a, <laughs> maybe an awesome party, player. bonfire. Uh, party. You know, this is all stuff. I don't necessarily buy into a lot of it. Uh, there's the uh, th- there's the bubble bath scene that people point to that as being Haim being uh, Sam is being gay. That you know that he was maybe a little too old for a bubble bath, and that he's singing that song 
that's like, I ain't got a man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ain't got a man. <laughs> that, 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 that's gay. I, I, I don't. I don't subscribe to all that stuff. Yeah. I do think that it's an interesting context to put in that this comes out in 1987. It's a movie about vampires. Uh, um, the seduction. Previous vampire movies had been a, uh, had, had been a heterosexual seduction. Dracula going after women, female vampires going after men. And you, you can read into it what you want as being sexual or not, but the seduction is between Michael and David. It does very much seem like um, the the two people, the man and woman who wrote this, maybe had read Anne Rice's, because if, if Anne Rice's interview came out in 76... But also book, you got to put that this was about younger kids originally. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, they're original, so maybe yeah, to update it, but there is, because I think that is addressed a little bit in the book. There is a little attraction, which you then see in the 94... Um, uh, interview with the vampire movie that comes to be, uh, yeah. but it is a it is a fairly new idea in cinema that you yeah. have the allure of you know, the, I mean because that's basically at the end of the day you think about the core, you know they talk Bram Stoker was gay and that is basically what Renfield is the allure of Renfield wanting mm-hmm. the, the attraction of becoming Dracula so he wants yeah. the eternal life and all that and he wants to please his master so you could probably read into that some sort of sexual attraction there yeah i mean you look know? you're never going to get away from the fact that the vampires are some or are, are looked at as some kind of seductive sexual, sexual yeah. metaphor of um the exchange of fluids Ooh. uh <laughs> and that's another thing you put into context 87 this is the height of the aids epidemic yep and uh there is a lot of anti-gay sentiment yeah because of it there's a stigma. You know, it's the gay disease, yeah. it's the gay cancer, stuff like that. It's only gay people can have it, you yeah. know, yeah. and they're the ones that are that are proliferating it. Yeah, yeah, So I think when you look in the movie and you and you take into account all these theories about the homosexual undertones and in some cases maybe overtones, and you put it in the context of 1987, the height of the AIDS epidemic being something that is fluid transmission, tr- transmitted through flu through fluid and blood and having vampires obviously be, you know, a metaphor for that in terms of, you know, it's all about blood and fluids and, and Michael becomes, starts to become a vampire, presumably from drinking David's blood. This exchange of bodily fluids between the two men in the movie, not through, yeah, yeah, you know, not the wine. And it's, and it's, and then Michael wrestles with this. Um, yeah, so then let's further this along. So then he, he becomes, he starts having these, uh, well, then then you have the cool, I like the scene where they get on the bikes and the bike becomes a new form, almost like it takes away the horseback. And yeah. I like the rice, the, the race. They have some really awesome looking bikes there. Yeah. You know, it fits into each one's character. It could be the same thing like we talked a couple of weeks ago with the the robocop where all the bad guys had different kind of shotguns i think all their bikes are maybe a little mm-hmm. different and then when they get you know we i love the uh the hotel you know me i'm, I'm a lore for stuff that really happened and i love the idea that there was this swanky hotel there until the to, to the, the earthquake the earthquake of 05 the yeah. yeah that affected san francisco too and it fell in so they're living down there um and then the very famous scene that i remember uh very um 
poignantly from from me growing up is the scene with them under the railroad trestle and yeah. the train going, the freight train, and the whole thing. You, you know, because at that time you don't really know what's going to happen. You know, yeah, yeah. and then he, you know, they all let go, and are they killing themselves? Because at that time, you know, suicide solution. Are they everybody? Yeah. You know, and at the very least, you know that Michael's not a vampire yet. Yeah, so you're kind of <laughs> like, fuck. He's, is he gonna? Does he want to kill himself too? And then you hear him laugh, and it's cool. Yeah. And he drops, and it's you know. So yeah, I, you know, and then. Him waking up the next day, and he's like two o'clock in the afternoon, and what also makes it plays into this like that becoming a vampire is almost like a drug. Yeah, like he's hungover in the morning. He, he got to wear his sunglasses. He looks like sh- mm. he looks like shit. And which I remember is like very much. I, I haven't seen the Jim Carrey once bitten in probably since it was on Movie Channel back in the late 80s. <laughs> but I remember him having a big issue with like, because he gets bit and then he's having, he's becoming a vampire. He's reluctant. He's wearing glasses and going to high school or whatever, you yeah. know. And he actually tried out for, um, what's his face, for the Jason Patrick role, but he didn't get it. And so did Ben Stiller. I don't know what role he played, tried out for. Yeah. But Ben Stiller tried out for this movie too, a little of the what-if game there. Uh so yeah, it, it, it's a great journey because then you don't realize is, is he a vampire yet, and then they kind of say no, you have to have your first kill. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of also slips away why Star isn't a vampire yet, or I guess the kid, but the kid is changing. Yeah, well, yeah, the kid is both him and I think you never see Star like vampire. No, you see him; he's fl- flipping out. But then they're like, you have to kill. That's when we realize we have to kill the master to yeah. to, to revert the spell. And then so when they kill, so then we get to the they set the house up. Uh, they get the grandfather to go away. Well, there's also this thing there which becomes uh, something that apparently is f- common for these kind of movies because we talk about it. Mike, Mike and I talk about it in the Fright Night podcast. And uh, I, I don't know if we talk. I don't know if you and I talk about it in our Monster Squad podcast, but it's certainly there too. This idea of that you're the kid and you know the truth, but nobody believes you. Yeah. Okay. Like that's certainly here. Like, yeah, Haim is convinced. The, the Frog Brothers are are the ones that know even before they meet Haim. Like they already know <laughs> that this town is full of vampires. Yeah, they've kind of they've been training their whole lives <laughs> for like this moment. Um, and we learn later that with the last line in the movie that I guess the entire town, ta- yeah, well, at least the grandfather knows. Now, why do I have a memory of the grandfather at the end of the movie becoming a werewolf? that i don't i can't tell you okay okay because i had i was waiting i hadn't seen the movie that long i thought it was going to turn into he was the throwaway line was he was a werewolf yeah and there's this that would have been a hell of a twist well that's our twist then because i for some reason i thought the lot the throwaway was that's why he came back he was going to come back because he was a like a a, you know you know there's always because there's that line about there's vampires and werewolves like in in politics at the local you know yeah, yeah. Uh, the town council government so if I, I don't know why I've always I've always with the with the memory of the big reveal of uh, Ed Herman being a vampire I thought the grandfather was a werewolf so I, I don't know the grandfather was going to turn towards the camera and his eyes were going to be be thriller <laughs> <laughs> and you've been surprised like ah! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then like, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know why. Uh, so we have that going on of the the that the kids know the truth. Yeah. And the adults don't believe them, uh, which is an interesting uh, and effective. You see de- that a lot. Device. I'm sure we've like you said we did Monster Squad that had it. I'm sure we can probably pick. And it I know up that one. Mike and I talk about it specifically in um, 
Fright Night. In Fright Night, and as a and as a common motif in Tom Holland's movies, he's the director of Fright Night, because it's also very similar to Chucky. The kid knows that Chucky's alive, but nobody else believes that Chuck that Chucky's alive. Yeah. In Child's Play, um, and uh, where were we before I? got off on that tangent we were talking about um the motif of the kids not being uh not oh so they start they set up the house yeah booby trap which is another big 80s yeah but you gotta have some booby, booby traps tra- yeah, yeah. Booby montage <laughs> you know it's it's either like the AT making the van yeah you know, at the end of the episode macgyver fixing stuff or you have or you booby got traps. you got nancy uh in nightmare on elm street yeah you got uh you know you got uh it's always a montage. Short round. Da- data? <laughs> yeah, from doing in Goonies. <laughs> kid in Goonies. Just a couple bo- pot. I was about yeah. booby traps. Booby traps are a big deal in the 80s. Because people discovered I can do them at home. <laughs> <laughs> I can do my own booby traps. So they uh, the, 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 they get ready for it. And in one of these, there's a scene where the Frog Brothers and Corey Haim are riding their bikes to the church. Yeah. That is on the Warner Brothers lot. Yes. Because I've been there. And I've seen that church and I've seen that street because all of a sudden it goes from being like a yeah, seaside be- town beach <laughs> to being like a yeah, you know, middle, a America, <laughs> middle yeah. America suburban. Suddenly we're in the middle of gremlins and uh, monster spot. So the church that they go into to get holy water yeah. is also the church in monster squad. Yes. That's that. That's at that town square. Yes. Which is in every was through to Hazard County in the Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that church is the church in at the end of Monster Squad. That's the same location, all in the Warner Brothers lot. Yeah, so and we, we've, we've already said uh, check out. We did a Fred Deckert Monster Squad podcast uh, some years ago, which was pretty cool. Uh, if I don't say so myself, <laughs> <laughs> stroking myself off a little bit there, but I digress. Uh, so they they get ready for this climax and the then big showdown. And I like you know because we said that. They 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 find the lair. They go to the lair. They they kill. They stake one of the guys. The, 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 the Bill S. Preston. Yeah. There's a big uh, bloodletting, which um, uh, Corey Haim in 2007 in a documentary called Blood Sucking Cinema. He says the blood they used was like to have it shimmer. It was slimier, the fake blood, and it looked really you know to have it a different kind of effect. We have that part where Keither uh, gets burned and his tear drops, and then you know you're ready for the night. And then I love the buildup of them making the um, the the booby traps into when they when they finally go and you you know isn't that do they is that where they taunt them with the bikes where you think the bikes are going around the house? Yeah, they open and no one's out there. You know, and then all of a sudden they forgot the fucking dog outside. And they got to run and get the dog, like assholes. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I love the dog. Uh, what's what was their name? The Thornton Thorn the, is um, Ed Ed um, Herman's dog, and yes. you have like he's like a hellhound that you always have something protecting protecting the vampire, mm-hmm. and he almost kills what's her face. Um, Diane Weiss. Yeah, he goes after her, and and it's it's like uh, he's later like, oh yeah, Thorn's uh, sorry he did that, and uh, he won't I ever have do to that admit, again. I never really. This time around, I was really attracted to Diane Weiss. You whore. And I had never, you know, maybe because I was always younger. She you didn't like, like her in uh, Edward Scissorhands when she was, she was the, the Avon lady? Yeah, she's always like the mom. Yeah. And I was always younger when those movies, so she was kind of like my mom. Yeah. But watching it now, I was like, you know, Diane Weiss is an attractive lady. The little Oedipus there, a little Oedipus <laughs> complex there. She's yeah. A very attractive woman. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then we have the climactic battle where he gets everybody. We have... Um, you know, he, he uh, one one person's thrown into the to the well, yeah. Tub. It very much becomes like a siege movie yeah. at the end, which is you know right very out of Carpenter. Yeah, right, right up your alley. Carpenter play, out of Jay Blake's book. alley, and the you have the the, the the stereo kill, and then you have uh, 
I love the theme song in this movie, uh, Cry Little Sister, done by uh, uh, Gerard McMahon, under the pseudonym Gerard McMahon. It's <laughs> <laughs> a hell of a pseudonym. Yeah, <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then he released it. He he, he re-released it in two thousand on his on his album G Tom Mac. But uh, I love the kids, the the, the chorus of the yeah. kids singing. You know, uh, I forget what the what the damn hook is with like fall down, uh, you know. And I love the like when when Keith or Sutherland meets his death. Yeah, you know, and you have that. You bring the song back in and all that. You know, and this was another movie we talk about eighty soundtracks. This was a huge soundtrack. That was a great, you know, and that's why I wasn't even into the Doors at the time, but I knew Echo and the Bunnymen were doing a cover of the Doors on this for some reason. People are strange, so uh, to have this, and you have a lot of covers on here. We said Tim Caballo, he's covering the Calls as I Still Believe, Uh, the Doors, uh, People Are Strange covered Lou Graham of lead singer Foreigner. Uh, He recorded Lost in the Shadows. Good Times is a cover by In Excess and the former Cold Chisel lead singer Jimmy Barnes of a Easy Beats, a 60s Australian band. And at the end credits, you have the Elton John song. Yeah. Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me, sung by Roger Daltrey. Yeah. Which is when we were were watching it, I was like... Huh, I forgot about that. I was like, who's singing this? Yeah. And then when you get to the credits, you're like, oh shit, that was Roger Daltrey. Because you forget, (laughs) obviously... I mean, obvious to me, and I would think obvious to you, you people might know that the the People of the Strange, which is like the headlining cover song, is a cover, but I didn't know any of these others. Yeah, so yeah. it's like almost like it's a motif that these are that there's like three or four cover songs in the yeah. movie. So, uh, so Cry Little Sister, I love that they add that at the end. And then there's, I love the whole end where, you know, he's the only one left and they have Jason Patrick and you have the thing, they're fighting in the air and all that kind of shit. And it's, yeah, it's you know, a very great, it's a great ending because you get... The claustrophobia of the house, but it also seems huge. The house too, That's, yeah. You know? But there's a but because it's like, of, a, it's like a, uh, a TARDIS, you know. It's like <laughs> yeah. you're in it, and it's like it's fucking huge. But but what you get, what's the beautiful thing about it is that you get both. You know, you get yeah. like the flying around in the main area, but then you get like the cramped bedroom linked by the bathroom yeah, scene. Yeah. You know, where it's the Frog Brothers and and Run the around. Nook, and, yeah. you know, trapped in the in a very confined place. Uh, with the bathroom kill and uh, it's just it's a great and effective ending and the house is a great set piece because yeah. it's so rustic yeah. and then you have of course all the taxidermy kind of adds like an interesting flair to it you don't really see too much anymore and uh, you know the grandfather uh, played by Bernard Hughes is he's great yeah. you know he's got like the He's got his own shelf, yeah. and he's, he's such a character, but you kind of totally buy it. And there's a lot of stuff in the novelization of, with the with the relationship between her and her dad, uh, the Diane Weiss character. Uh, what's her name? Lucy and her dad. Which is another playback to Lucy being the character from, in Bram Stoker's original Dracula, Lucy's the one who in Whitby, yeah. Dracula comes to England, he kind of uses her as, you know, the po- to get her, his power back to go after Nina. Yeah. yeah. Throwback. You, you get little shades <clears throat> of what Lucy was like, and then she says to, to Max in the video store, like, oh, we were kids, we were like that, maybe we weren't as well-dressed kind of thing. Uh, in the book, there's all this you know, unspoken stuff. And even a little bit of it is spoken is that she was a hippie growing up and that she left and her dad was very straight cut, like suit tie nine to five, more of a conservative business, conservative guy. And now when she comes back, like she's almost more conservative than he is. Like he's got like his brain. He's let let himself go. You know, like he's kind of really 
uh, like adopted this like free yeah an easy you know california and i love that the part with the car they got like a chevy or something you know like we're going to town get in the car all right let's go <laughs> <laughs> like i love that's you know that's you I see so many people do that we're going to town yeah we are we're not in the car you know so that's yeah. cool and then like and then also that's you know a little question when they take the car we need to take it like he almost knows something's up but he you know he has to help the you know because he doesn't really question them when they're leaving with the yeah, car yeah. you know when it's his baby and then you know there's a lot more about the weed outside the window okay there's only you know, they really pointed out more in the. There's a little thing when they walk through the kitchen, I think, and maybe it's in the deleted scenes. There's like weed growing outside the f- kitchen window, and Michael points to like it. marijuana. Yeah, not like weed. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, like, okay, like yeah, marijuana yeah. and yeah, and Michael points it, and Sam doesn't know what it is, and then Ma- Michael makes like a jo- smoking a joint thing, and like that's ex- and in the book it's like that explains like why their grandfather is all kooky. Yeah, he's so <laughs> He's like a stoner that sits around and does, he doesn't uh, have a TV because if you have a TV guide, you don't need a TV. That's a great line as well. And like he has the pocket doors to shut. And then like, so when he comes back and saves the, well, he doesn't save the day yet. When there's the climactic battle with Jason Patrick and Keith or Sutherland and Keith or Sutherland's impaled. It's another when you have like, da, 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 you know, they, they yeah. you know, well, they set up this great thing in the, which is. The frog, I think it's Corey Feldman's character says like they they they're like snowflakes. They know none, they know they don't all die the same. They all die like uniquely. Yeah. So, so one will scream, one will blow, destroy the when he uh, he goes through the the plumbing, he destroys the plumbing. Another yeah. one, you know. So when he when Keith Sutherland, the supposed ringleader, dies, yeah, he just dies peacefully. But then there's been this is interesting because since we hadn't had a sequel for twenty some years, there was I guess lovers of this film. There was this conjecture where he didn't die. He he still. Yeah alive and then there was a comic book that antlers that because he gets impaled on the antlers of a taxidermy yeah deer head and that it didn't puncture his heart yeah because because originally the idea was going to be that they were going to do a sequel called the lost girls and it was going to be about a vampire like the craft girl gang yeah of motorcycle chicks and they uh schumacher in the 90s wanted to do it and he had a script and he had some other stuff and, it, and he circulated it but he just didn't end up getting made but that was the idea so they must have known at the time they wanted to have him survive the character because he comes back in a comic 2008 comic book series called uh, lost boys reign of frogs mm-hmm. um it, which is serves as a direct sequel to Lost Boys, and it it kind of tells the story between what happens between the original movie and then the the, the t- sequel, The Lost Tribe, the movie sequel, uh, The Reign of Frogs. This comic book is is talks about that time together, and David's character comes back in that. So uh, we think, and then they're like, oh, you know, uh, it didn't work, and then we have that the reveal that Max, who the whole time has been like you said, the red herring, is actually yeah. the uh, head vampire and all he wanted was her because he wanted a mother figure and this and then I love the idea uh, grandfather saves the day he's impaled I love the idea they said that they were there was is this in the the novelization that there was going to be a uh, it wasn't going to be such an, a, an abrupt ending with the joke line I didn't get to the end I oh you said that time. I'm sorry um, because at the, it, there was going to be a scene where they were going to have the surviving vampires which I don't know who survived make it back to the underground hotel and they were going to regroup, and then on the wall was going to be a mural, and it's very much like Kubrick's The Shining. You were going to see Max in the mural from 100 years ago, like 1902, and he looks exactly the same. And yeah. then you're going to hear, like, all of a sudden, you're going to hear fucking, um, you know, Moonlight and the Stars and You <laughs> by uh, Ray, Ray, what's his face, Bowling, and uh, the other guy. Um, 
uh, oh god, I don't remember his fucking name now. Uh, who did that song? But so yeah, so I I, I like that as an ending too. That you know, the add a little like how long they've been there, kind of a thing. They've been there forever, especially Max. Yeah. But we yeah. but we never timestamp how old, like you said, the kids are. Yeah. The, who knows when they were turned? Eventually, maybe one from. It would have been cool if you had hints of like one from each generation. Sure. Like one was a beatnik, one was from the Dust Bowl era. You know, that'd have been mm-hmm. cool. Roaring twenties. Uh, so then it ends like that. It ends up you know, and then. Uh, like I said, the the uh, the soundtrack stood with me for years. It was like a classic. I, I yeah, remember all my friends had that cover. You know the. Uh it's just the, the soundtrack cover is just the Lost Boys, the font, and yeah. then all the bands on it. And I remember having that in tape form. Everybody had that. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? Yeah. It was a pretty <clears throat> iconic soundtrack yeah. uh, for our youth. We should sure. start keeping a tally of the movies we do in the iconic soundtracks, because we've done a couple recently. Yeah, that Wayne's had big, World. Yeah, Wayne's, Wayne's World. And we did a couple. Another one after that, too, that, that had big, very iconic uh, soundtracks. Um so yeah, I don't, you know, and then the, uh, the movie ends up coming out and it does pretty well. It's like it ends up hitting number two, um, the opening weekend, and it grosses uh, five point two million. It, it ends up, you know, domestically getting thirty two point two million, which is really good because they only did an eight point five million dollar budget, and uh, you know, it gets a lot of good review reviews, you know, because it says it helps make the vampires young and sexy again, like you mm-hmm. said. Uh, one filmmaker says it. A quote brilliantly, uh, brilliantly portrays vampirism as a metaphor for a kind of mythic male bonding that resists growing up commitment and especially concerning marriage so you know which i think also you can relate that to maybe the the take out that and put in the homosexuality a little bit there those yeah, those yeah. themes there so yeah it's a it's a great movie it's a great representation of what the 80s were like, you know, the mentality of the 80s, the fashion of the 80s. Fashion, another thing that these people that read into the homosexuality, the biker stuff, they read into, like, the cruising yeah. biker attire of the vampires as being, like, a gay thing. Yeah, but I see <laughs> but I that, that like could they be, are bikers, Yeah, though. that could be Monday morning quarterbacking, because yeah, at yeah. the time, I always say, you know, people may forget, but, like, hair bands back then looked, you know, scary and badass, yeah, yeah. but now you look at them, it was just dudes in, like, leather <laughs> pants and, you know, <laughs> mascara and, like, you know, teased hair. I agree. I'm just pointing out some of the many things they point to which i don't necessarily agree with most of them i think um it's a stretch for a certain but i do i do think that when you brought it up there is certainly a uh, argument to be made about the eroticism between david and michael you know a little yeah. of the tension it is interesting to note that they also kind of like dig themselves a little more than than star they kind of like push star <laughs> aside you know yeah <clears throat> you know this whole you know one of the things i was reading was you know it's not until David fine until Michael finally finally decides to reject vampirism. Yeah. Or in the context of a metaphor, homosexuality, that he does like the most heterosexual thing almost to prove himself, which is he goes and finds Star and has sex with her. Like like that it's in that instance when he makes that decision that he goes to find her. Yeah. And that the uh, he almost to like solidify for himself that he's not you know, homosexual. Uh, there's a but you know it's you can read anything into anything. I'm yeah. sure you could you know read. You could extrapolate anything. Yeah, yeah. you could be like it's all about Nazis. Yeah, because clearly <laughs> the surf Hitler. And, yeah, and you know they're and all barbarians. Yeah, and at the end that's actually Mangla because he survives <laughs> and he went to Brazil, which is actually underground. 
Yeah. <laughs> you, you certainly. Uh, but the thing talking about the doors thing, I think that is interesting, and I didn't really put the the thought of until we were discussing it. This idea of like eternal youth and uh, the doors being a very youthful teenage uh, fascination for music lovers. And like I said, I don't know about back then. I just go by our youth. Yeah. And, you know, it seems like the doors is like, every, it's like I said, like a rite of passage. Well, but I also think it, like in a way, like Morrison himself is, is yeah. a lost boy. You yeah. Know? He's like eternally he's, young. And... Even though he, in his later life, which wasn't late enough, you know, wasn't that much later, but that he gained a lot of weight and, grew that beard and stuff to kind of try to shed that image. But the image that we have of him yeah. is that the American, the young lion there is that, that, is that like beautiful yeah. like man. <laughs> yeah. The shirtless guy. Yeah. yeah. You know, which is the, the picture they have in the, uh, so in a way he is eternally young to th- us. That's why when I, see, when you see Jason Patrick, even his hairstyle, that's and then him walking along a beach, you know, very, a California beach, very yeah. much like Venice beach, you know? And I think, I wonder if Schumacher has any ties to that kind of a, a growing up, because, you know, we see it again in Falling Down with the climax there. That is Venice Beach where the yeah. doors, uh, you know, came to be, you know. Well, apparently he went specifically to Manzarek, according to him, yeah. according to Schumacher. So Manzarek, for people who don't know, is the organist and one of the founding members of the doors. He yeah. went to Ray Manzarek and said, you have been producing, what's the name of the band? Uh, Echo and the Bunnymen. Will you produce? Will you do a Doors cover? Will you have them? Will you produce a Doors cover for them? So according to Schumacher, it's like he went to Raymond Zarek and said, "Will you produce a Doors cover by this band?" Did he for the movie? People are strange because it's a perfect uh, song out of the Doors catalog. Instead of Strange Days, I mean, they yeah. do have a lot of songs that are that could fit, but certainly People Are Strange is a great well, the beginning a, when they come the montage. Yeah, they're coming new into town, and, you know, and it's this you know. whole new. And they, they play Life. a good chunk of the song. They play like a minute and a half. They almost yeah. they may play the entire song, you know, back yeah. in then when you can get you can do that. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's, so it's like, you know, and that's where you even hear, that's where I said at the end, I heard Manzarek in the chorus singing. And then when I listened to the album on our, my way here tonight, uh, he they have an extended, um, in the middle of the song, it's, it's very much... Uh, tone, everything is, it's almost an exact cover from the original song, except in the solo, when McZarek solos on a, on a regular, like, uh, regular piano in the, in the original version. And this one, they, they, they do a, a couple extra bars and it ends up being like a, uh, it turns it almost to like a, a Calypso, a Caribbean kind of a feel. And then they, then they go back with the finale of it. So it was, uh, very much like a, I think, a conscious choice there, you know. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of the perfect song for the scene yeah. that it's in. So I wouldn't be surprised if he requested. That and the song premise of not just them arriving in town, but the whole plight of the Lost Boys. Yeah, you know, mo- there's more than meets the eye. You don't know what's going on behind people's, you know, closed doors or even people's faces. And people are strange when you're a stranger because faces yeah. look ugly when you're alone. <laughs> <laughs> Women seem wicked when you're unwanted, and streets are uneven when you're down. You know, it's it's very much, you know. And I yes, see, and that's another thing. Like I said, that you know, the Doors had the revival with Apocalypse Now, and then the American Prayer album coming out, which we got them a best of, which was big into the early '80s. But until this movie came out, which was when we were young, and yeah. then with the Oliver Stone movie. Well, when was the Billy Idol cover of L.A. Woman? Ugh, that had to be mid-80s when he was big. So it was right around this time, yeah. you know? Because when is White Wedding and all that? That's around the same time. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think kids in the early 80s, our age, were listening to The Doors unless, you know, but 
when we hit that age range because they become popular again because yeah. they were in the the, the, or yeah, the lexicon. Yeah, but then you could say, yeah, I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to tell because we just weren't old enough. I should yeah. ask my brother. Because like, uh, uh, I certainly, that's how I got to know him because my best friend's time, brothers were listening to them. But at the same time, I mean, <clears throat> we were listening to Led Zeppelin and like I was listening to Led Zeppelin and The Who. I mean, The Doors weren't the only band from the 60s yeah. that I was listening but I, to I, I, but I wonder, as a teenager. Yes, you wonder. I and so like it wasn't like there was a Led Zeppelin movie that came out in the early '90s that had a resurgence for Led Zeppelin. So yeah, I just wonder if there's just like that group of people that see like we Beatles, should talk to, like we, every teenager goes through a Beatles. Thing, yeah, I don't know if they're doing know. it now though. <laughs> you know what they're doing, but I wonder if it was. I, I mean, I wouldn't want to sound presumptuous, but I wonder if the resurgence of the Doors brought back that you know because I started listening to the Doors, Zeppelin, and Hendrix right at the same time. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. I wonder if 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 that kind of opened a door to you know because guitarists at the time always used Hendrix as an influence and stuff like that. So I wonder, you know, if it was just musicians of the era, Guns N' Roses or whatever, you know, and then we still had people like Aerosmith, The Stones, and all that. We're just you know talking about Eric Clapton, yeah. you know, who, who who were their uh, inspirations, you know, because I certainly right at the same time I started listening to The Doors and Hendrix, and then you know Zeppelin and. You know, and then that by that time we started going our ways with like blues and jazz and all that kind of a thing. You know, so yeah. it's 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 an interesting you know idea. But certainly they 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 have them in the movie that like you said it is kind of like an extension of like I never thought of like you know that youth at some point at least when we were growing up people would hit that marker and have them as like a late teens into early twenties kind of a band and then you know you either stick with them or you you grow out of them and go to something else. They would yeah, pique yeah. your interest and that certainly fits into here where these kids are. Eternally Always, that age, yeah. so so they're 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 big into them, you know, and, and then you, and then you get that aesthetically with Jason Patrick's visual look as well as, you know, them pushing the posters around, you know, yeah, yeah, and it being on a California boardwalk kind of a you know, beach town. Anyway, I think I have a feeling that this episode was a little bit scattered, but uh, they always seem to be until we go back. I just feel like the, I, there's a lot there's a lot I wanted to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> I was very excited for it. I think maybe. Maybe I was a little too overzealous. It happens to me all the time. Hopefully it was <laughs> okay. these things. I think it was great. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, and then it, it, uh, it certainly holds itself in the in the lore of uh, vampire it's films. It's become a classic. Yeah. I mean, this movie, because of, uh, it, because of the 30th anniversary, it's been being talked about a lot lately. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. But... I think even other than that, it's not just because it's 30th anniversary. I think people have a genuine love for this movie and it's become a very popular and beloved movie for an entire generation of people being our generation and also the generations younger than us. Yeah. It's kind of been passed down. the, The idea of like the doors being kind of the perfect band, the perfect music for for teenagers to segue them into like adulthood or or, you know like the book catcher in the rye will never read the way it reads if you don't read it when you're a teenager like if you read that as an adult it's not it's it's you can't identify with holding coffee yeah yeah you're gonna be like this is not what is what's the appeal of this book i kill lennon because of this (laughs) (laughs) you know uh the idea of these young cool sexy teenagers as vampires 
is just, I think, a, in, a, in a way, like a rite of passage yeah. for horror fans, for 80s movies fans, you know, now being passed down. Now we've said it before with the Grease cast, like 30 years, like everything seems to be like it comes back around. The trend is 30 years in the 70s uh, and in the early 80s with music like the Stray Cats or even Billy Joel's like Innocent Man <laughs> or or shows like uh, Happy Days, stuff we were talking about. That is like 20 to 30 years. There's like that cycle. Yeah. And so now we're in the cycle of like the 80s is big. Yeah, and um, we're almost getting into a 90s kind of thing now. <laughs> you know, people were starting to like revisit that. Yeah, now. we're like getting out of that 90, <laughs> yeah. the 80s cycle about to and about to re-enter like this about to enter this retrospective yeah. 90s cuz uh, you got people, you know, doing like uh movies about pioneering of hip hop or even like, you know, just music of the day and stuff yeah. like that. So it's just it's so I a, think the that's just the, the Lost Boys has become a very big thing. Yeah. Um, I think even maybe even bigger than you and I kind of realize. Yeah. Because uh, like, certainly the aspects connecting it to Peter Pan are, are, are phenomenal and having that. Yeah. You know. Well, the aspect of eternal youth, I, you know, I, that, that's probably another reason, you know, I, I often talk about uh, nostalgia and it being the reason for this cast, it being the reason why I fell in love with 21 Jump Street, this, that, and the other thing. This idea of teen 80s thing it's yeah. like just it's in my wheelhouse you yeah. know after i got to be close to 30 it's like it's no fun growing up yeah like there's like like wanting to hold on to these saturday night movies sleepover movies uh being nostalgic about the movies we grew up with being nostalgic about movies that maybe you and i didn't grow up with but were made in a time that we're nostalgic for like no holds barred for instance was a movie that neither one of us I don't even know if either one of us had seen before we did the yeah. podcast about it, but it was a it was from a time that was that I'm nostalgic for, or even from you know, it's a way. It, the, all this this cast in a way is us revisiting is our us youth. being lost boys. Yeah. You know, it's it's keeping eternal youth. Yeah, you know, I think the people that are our age that listen and are and we're lucky enough to have people that that follow the show and listen to it i think them listening to us talk about it is this weird way of keeping it totally you it's kind of like a yeah it's kind of like yeah remembering you know even like for me it's movies that weren't necessarily in the 80s or 90s but you grew up watching you know you have yeah. that nostalgia for so it, it becomes very identifiable for people who contacted us who said that you know I'm, I'm much older than you guys but i remember you know like going to see Night of the Living Dead in the theater or, yeah. you know, Star Wars, and you're like, oh, that's really cool, you know, or, you know, people like, you know, we, I love this, thing. I loved you did the Beguile, but thank you. <laughs> you know, you know, your Dirty Harry cast was great. Well, thank you. That's so awesome, you know. So it's 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 really interesting what, and especially, specifically the two of us, like, you know, what you're nostalgic for versus what I'm nostalgic for, yeah, you know. Yeah. So it's it certainly is, at the end of the day, no matter what anyone is nostalgic for, it is interesting that it is everyone... <laughs> basically not happy with their lives now <laughs> and well, romanticizing yeah, well, you know, for a certain extent. You know, you, you do romantic, you know, you, you, for the most part, you remember the good things, yeah. you know? So yeah. you, you just think about, you harken back to a, an era where, and you know, times were easier when yeah. you were younger. I mean, for certain people, you know, well, yeah, you know, you I know, guess obviously there's exceptions, but in terms of taking an average adulthood yeah. versus like an average childhood <clears throat> without the, you know, abuse yeah, or whatever kind of, that might have, plague but that might unfortunately plague some people uh it just was a simpler time yeah. i think you know especially now in an age of the internet and twitter and 
I think we all need it to be a little bit simpler. <laughs> yeah, it's a little. Yeah, it gets a little overwhelming for everybody. It's it's you know, but that's what this is for. Yeah, you and know, so that's like why this, we meet out every night on a Saturday night, Blake and I. Uh, was, and so, you know. but and so, Lost Boys is that for me. Yeah, and I'm glad we finally did it. Like I said, I hope we did it justice, and it's not the sc- episode wasn't too scattered, but um, it was fun to wa- one watch it again to watch it with you and three to talk about it in a way that I don't think I've ever talked about it before. You know, like I said, with the Hastings brothers, I would, we would talk a little bit about it, you know, and the, the idea of Sam, you know, maybe being this representation of Joel Schumacher, but we never really got that deep into it past that, you know, other than just having a love for the movie and a love for the Corey. Of course, of course. <laughs> you know. so I'm, I'm happy we did it and it, and it, it it does fit into our eighty seven wheelhouse. Yes, you know seven. Uh, are we gonna stick with eighty eight? Are we just gonna <laughs> <laughs> actually just all we do? But what that means we never can go back. You have to go forward to go back. Well, we can just we'll scoop back every and once in a while. We'll hit go, forty. We'll, we'll go start doing. Now we're in seventy. You know whatever. Uh, but hey, you know, uh, like as always, we have the the pitch the website. We have the. Um, the Twitter account. We have the Facebook page. Uh, Blake has a whole new podcast that he alluded to before. Yes, Twenty One Pod Street. Uh, it's on Twitter at twenty at, at Twenty One Pod P O D S T Podst. Nice Twenty One Podst. And you uh, already had your your uh, inaugural episode. We had our inaugural episode uh, where we covered the pilot and the origin of the show with the great Mike Vanderbilt, who has been. The champion of Saturday Night Movie Yeah, he's been a good friend of ours uh, for a while, helping us with stuff. And, you know, we have a lot of people who who uh, help the show out, and he certainly uh, <coughs> loves to lend efforts to us and, and do stuff, and we, we do thank he's him for that. He's good people. Yeah. And so, I might be doing a guest over with him sometime in the not-too-distant future. And you've so already might, hinted at in your Fight Fright Night podcast. And we did a Fright Night podcast last November, yeah, maybe? maybe, and that was your first. That was the guest over inaugural. That was, maybe? Our, that was our first guest over. It would, you know, you yeah. could count Dave, maybe. That's true. The other, the other, the um, other. <laughs> it wasn't officially a guest over. Uh, what do you call that? The uh, silver bullet. But and we're back in two weeks, and uh, we may have another eighty-seven movie. <laughs> <laughs> We may just. Yeah, you know, we had I one last week. We had one a couple weeks ago. And we ha- we may have another one. I will say, uh, I don't know what year it was, but I th- to my recollection, the movie that we have planned yeah. is a movie that is very special to the two of us. Yes. A combined special. So for, for various reasons that we'll allude to next time, because we don't want to get into it now, because we don't want to be too much. Same sleepover time. Same, same sleepover sleep stage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll be seeing you soon down the trail. And um, we'll see you in two weeks. Later. Later.